This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred Philippus. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 120. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Donovan, back from the dead. This is Joe, very much alive. And this is Stawa, soon to be dead. And we are bringing you the latest comic book reviews and comic book news from the weeks of June 30th through July 13th. You're listening to this episode as Comic-Con is actually happening, so if you are just popping this on and completely forgot the Comic-Con was happening, make sure you head over to the website as we will be reporting all of the latest news from Comic-Con as both Don and Stella will be attending on behalf of the Batman Universe. So, as for news not related to Comic-Con, because that's not happening yet, uh, we do have just a couple bits of news from the past two weeks. We do have a total of six different books we will be covering on this episode. Um, and I'm just going to say this is the beginning of books being delayed because some of these books are seemingly uh, coming out. This isn't the first time. We saw this last month, too, where Nightwing came out a week earlier, Batwing came out, or Batgirl came out, uh, I believe it was a week late, and then uh, there's some of the second-tier books that we cover on the Point Five cast that were also mixed up around. But this month, uh, Batman Incorporated number 12 released in this time frame outside of um, outside of June, so I guess uh, the New 52 books aren't going to be late. I guess that went out the window. But nonetheless, uh, let's get into comic news. I want information, and I'll get it any way I please. As far as what we have for comic news, the very first thing we have is um, on July 3rd, it was announced by DC Comics through the New York Post that uh, despite the fact that Damien is in fact dead, um, they announced a new miniseries that is entitled Damien, Son of Batman. Um, this is a miniseries that will begin in October. Um, it, will inc- it will be a four-issue miniseries written and drawn by Andy Kubert. Um, it will tell the story of the alternate future where Damien becomes Batman. Uh, Kubert had this to say about the new series. I had a big affinity for Damien when I drew Batman issue number 666 in 2007. I really liked that Batman... And I really liked that Batman and always wanted to revisit him. Damien is a bit different than the Bruce Wayne Batman. Grant Morrison tweaked his character in a way that made it very endearing for me to draw and to write. Basically, what I'm doing is exploring the path that Damien has taken to become Batman. I think readers will see him in a different light than before. So despite the fact that this character is in fact dead, DC Comics is still wanting to cash in on the character even though this isn't actually going to happen. So, what do you guys think of that? How dare they? <laughs> um, it's actually kind of ironic because get your cups out. Uh, they're kind of doing the same thing with Spider-Man. They're having like uh, anthology titles coming out with Peter Parker, who's currently spoilers dead in the Marvel universe. So that's kind of ironic. <laughs> um, I think this is interesting. I, from what I gleamed upon, this will basically be stories of Damien as Batman. Uh, at least, at least that's, that, that seems to be the bulk of it. I could be proven wrong later on or immediately. But uh, I'm down for it. I mean, I, I like Damien. Um, 
And I'm not read anything that Andy Kubert's written. I, I love his artwork. I love his artwork on Batman. But like, it'll be interesting to see how he writes the character, seeing how he says he's a fan of the character. I'm wondering what his take on Damien will be. Um, especially since he hasn't really been with the Bat books in a long time. He was only with the Bat books like around 2006, I think. So I'm wondering if there's going to be any sort of like uh, disparity between then and now. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this. I'm looking forward to this. I'm also looking forward to this. I know Andy Hubert's going to be writing the Joker, uh, I think it's Batman point twenty three point one or something. So I'll, we'll get to see a sample of his writing there. I also haven't read anything that he's done. But seeing that he was almost involved in the creation of Damien, um, it could be interesting. The only thing that I'm slightly hesitant about is that was obviously when Damien was kind of an unlikable character in the Batman and Son arc. So... Uh, I hope he doesn't write him in that fashion because we all love the Damien that left us so recently. But if it's a story about him, his earlier years, then it could very well be that. So I just hope it's well written. Uh, I'm also looking forward to this. I Is it not taking place in the 666 universe then? The Batman 666 universe? I'm guessing like it is. Timeline? I'm guessing it's okay. leading up to that that's what happens there okay so i think that'll be great at least because uh i think it'll be able to pull or tie together you know batman issues 666 and the batman inc those issues that we actually had damien so i think hopefully we'll be able to answer some questions uh it'll be great to see the character again i'm wondering if this could potentially lead up to a return for damien at the end uh just somehow rectifying um the deal that he made with the devil or something but uh, i think answers will be will be given and it'll just be great to see the character again so high expectations uh i don't know if that's a bad thing to do because we know what what happens with um beloved characters going into miniseries cough cough cassandra Kane. <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. So the next bit of news we have comes on July 5th. Uh, the upcoming Forever Evil miniseries that's happening, well, we know that there's. it was announced last month that there was going to be a Gotham version of this Forever Evil uh, event that's happening. And Peter Tomasi will be writing it. He spoke with MTV Geek on July 5th about the upcoming series. So for this interview, I will read for MTV Geek. And Don will read for Peter Tomasi. How closely is this series tied to the main event and the other two tie-in series? Do the events within happen concurrently with the main Forever Evil series? I'm writing the Two-Face, Bane, and Scarecrow one-shots that come out in September, along with the six-part Arkham War that comes out in October. All of these books are closely tied into Forever Evil in different ways, each serving a distinct purpose in the greater story arc, and all of them a direct response slash result due to the epic craziness that Jeff unleashes in the pages of Forever Evil number one. The way I'm seeing my books and other minis and one-shots are like branches of a tree, all of them feeding the main trunk and vice versa, giving the reader a wider yet specific perspective on the reverberations across certain areas of the DCU. Tell us a a bit about the cast of this series. Which Arkham inmates are you particularly focusing on? Who are the central characters? And are there any villains you wish to use that weren't available? The main characters of Arkham War are Bane and Scarecrow, each one leading their (laughs) respective... each one leading their respective army against the other for control of Gotham in their own inimitable ways. 
The Bane and Scarecrow one-shot set up their master plans and lead directly into Arkham War. And I'm pulling out of the toy chest an amazing amount of villains and, uh, and using exactly who serves the story I want to tell with even a surprise or two. All right, so the one thing that I found interesting about this is the fact that he makes a comment about how uh, this the the one shots and the miniseries are serve as branches of a tree feeding the main trunk and vice versa, uh, giving the reader a wider yet specific perspective of the reverberations across certain areas of the DCU. That's that's interesting because that's similar to what we saw during uh, Battle for the Cowl. Uh, yeah. where there was a ton of different miniseries tied to the actual three-issue uh, Battle of the Cowl miniseries that was occurring at the same time, how they all kind of fed in and played off of each other is very similar. And it, it, it's almost like the events that happen in the Batman universe, give it a couple years and somehow stuff will happen across the entire DC universe in a similar style. Just take the New 52, for example. We had the books... Get, in a lot of the books got not canceled, but they they stopped, and then they started new series uh, after Battle for the Cowl, and because different characters had different roles then, and Detective and Batman were the only two out of all the Bat books that didn't renumber, and then shortly thereafter, it was about a year and a half, the New Fifty Two comes around. So I'm starting to think that maybe they use the uh, the Bat book line as a kind of like litmus paper for what they could possibly do for the entire DC Universe since it is the set of books that probably has the highest sales of all of the books at DC. The one thing that kind of has me as a pa- at a pause is we're doing this whole uh, these supervillains are fighting a war for Gotham City thing again which uh, I, I don't like saying this but they always keep making me say it like it's, it's been done a lot. It's been done in Battle for the Cow, it's been done in No Man's Land was that not the plot of uh, Gotham Underground as well? Or at least kind of similar to that. Like, the idea that, like, specific villains are, you know, basically having a, a gigantic gang war across Gotham City. Like, that's... that's not, I'm, I really am surprised they kind of keep going go, going back to that, because those actually don't really turn out to be very, all that interesting. Except for uh, No Man's Land. And that was a specific situation, so... That doesn't exactly lead me to be dying to pick up the series, but I am interested to see how um, Tomasi tackles Bane and Scarecrow. Those are villains, Batman villains that I particularly like. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that this was an ongoing or a, a mini-series. I thought the the first batch of news that this was a one-shot, so that means more money. <laughs> but I am excited to see Tomasi write some classic Batman villains, because I at least haven't seen that. He's only used, other than Joker, he's only used um, his own created villains, so it'll be interesting to see how he writes those. Again, I feel this is just too close to Salvation Run. I feel like it's been done before, but hey, that was pre-New 52, so why not do it for the New 52? Um, Yeah... (laughs) Now, now that more details are getting released, I'm just like, I don't know about this. I, I guess it's great that we're focusing on the villains, and so that's different, but it just feels like, man, we've sort of done this before. I think it's great that Tomasi has two pretty prominent villains to deal with. I, I'm interested to see more Bane and his leadership of a gang, because when I think of a gang leader, I don't necessarily think that Scarecrow has or would have a big enough following to have 
a group of people and take over like a quarter of Gotham City. So that should be interesting. But Bane seems like the very militant type of person. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm interested. I, I just don't know about this whole forever evil thing. And currently in Talon, Bane has been creating an army that is going to be at the hands of the former Grandmaster of the Court of Owls to take back Gotham City from the current Court of Owls. Um, and I'm sure that this might, in fact, be the same exact army that is going to be used during Forever Evil. I, like Stella, can't really figure out the Scarecrow connection because it doesn't make any sense. He doesn't even seem like a person that anybody would want to follow, much less him being able to be a leader. Um, the the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that uh, that Joe mentioned that for the most part Peter Tomasi has been doing a lot of a lot of his own villains. He's been creating a lot of his own villains and his writing over the past couple of years for uh, within the Batman universe, which actually brings us to our next bit of news. On July eighth, the solicitations were released for October, and uh, speaking of Peter Tomasi, as I mentioned. One of the uh, big changes is, as we know, August is the last issue of the Batman and uh, plug in the the uh, sidekick of the month with uh, Nightwing. And then we have in September, we have the four villain issues that will be happening uh, under the Batman and Robin banner. But uh, the one thing that's kind of interesting is beginning in October, uh, it looks like Batman is going to be not necessarily teaming up, even though it's implied by the title. But uh, as it turns out, they're going to be focusing on some villains in the pages of Batman Robin, with starting with uh, Two Face, because Batman Robin number twenty four is actually entitled Batman and Two Face. Mm-hmm. Says the Big Burn Part One of Five. So this would entail that uh, this would be either five issues of Batman with Two Face, or it's five issues of a story that's going to involve characters that are not the sidekicks. It says, Two-Face's first epic in the New 52 sees Batman unraveling the mysterious connections between Harvey Dent's life and the origin of Carrie Kelly. Huh. <laughs> the way new origin. Yeah. Um, besides that book, um, the other real big announcements for the month of, uh, for the month of October... Uh, in October, we mentioned this before. Nightwing will be seeing their first. His uh, Nightwing will be seeing his first annual in October. Uh, that will still be written by Cal Higgins. The art will be done by Jason Masters. Um, it's supposed to be a story of Robin and Batgirl, or Nightwing and Batgirl, uh, and their time as they have been, you know, linked together as partners here and there. So that'll be interesting. Um, outside of the main books that we cover. Beware the Batman will see its first uh, issue in October. This is the series that's based off of the brand new animated TV series on Cartoon Network called Beware the Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Damien Son of Batman, as we mentioned, that's also going to start off in October. Forever Evil is taking center stage in the DC Universe as Just League 24, Just League of America number 8, and Just League Dark number 24 all have some odd static Covers and when I say static, I mean, the, I, I mean it actually is white snow, white snow snatic. I, that you I've see. heard that it's supposed to be a magic image, one of those you stare at it long enough and you're supposed to see something, but oh. for the life of me, I can't tell <laughs> what it is. It's 1997 again. 
Um, and then outside of that, the only other thing that there is is uh, the, the announcement of Forever Evil Arkham War, which we already knew the first issue will also hit in October. So a uh, number of different series happening in October, mostly related to Forever Evil in some way, shape, or form. But uh, the whole lineup of all the books that are releasing in October related to the Batman universe, including the second tier books and the other TBU appearance books, are all on the website for you to check out. I'm uh, looking forward to the Nightwing annual, just because uh, I did quite enjoy Jason Master's art in what little we've seen of it in Batman Inc. It'll be interesting to see a whole issue of his work without it being uh, put down by the brilliance of Chris Burnham. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so that is all the news. As I mentioned, Comic-Con is happening as you're listening to this, or it's already happened, so be sure to check out the website thebemmingiverse.net for reports from both Don and Stella related to all the events that are happening at Comic-Con, in addition to a number of interviews that we have lined up with various creators that are working on current projects or will be working on current projects coming out in the next few months. So with that, we're going to get straight into our comic book reviews, and the first one we have is Batman Beyond, digital chapter number 26. I, I'm Batman. Batman Beyond Digital Chapter Number 26, written by Adam Beechin, art by Adam Archer. The issue starts off with the hovercraft, plane, vehicle, whatever you want to call it, heading straight towards the Metalmen's project of trying to keep the building from uh, imploding inside of the Metalmen themselves. They stop the vehicle, save Max, uh, as it turns out, Tin actually whacks uh, Rebel in the face, knocking her out. The, ex- the Batman's explosions go off. As it turns out, they are a- the Metal Men are able to contain all of the actual debris inside of themselves, preventing any kind of horrible situation for anybody in the area. Later, back at Wayne Manor, the Metal Men are talking with Bruce Wayne about uh, wh- where exactly Will Magnus is. And basically, Bruce Wayne explains that Will Magnus is presumed dead, and he put them offline specifically so that they weren't cor- they weren't able to be corrupted by some sort of organization. He then explains that he has a very interesting plan for them and wants to know if they'd be interested, where it involves a device that the Injustice League used in the past that has a teleporter. Uh, they're hoping he's hoping that they will actually be serve as watchmen for the planet and they will be, if they stay on this uh, satellite, they can actually teleport themselves to anywhere that they need help. Um, Basically what it comes down to is Bruce Wayne is convinced that Batman Beyond is or Terry isn't necessarily the best by himself. He might do better if he has a number of help. Uh, He then explains to Maxine that it's time to dismantle the Undercloud. She explains that maybe it's not a good idea to actually dismantle it but gently redirect it to do some good for society he agrees and she says that she better go get started uh then we cut to her leaving and bruce telling terry that he's very proud and during the joker incident he knows that terry was questioning whether or not he should quit being batman and he says that uh you know no matter what we have to make sure that uh, i can't force you to stay batman but i understand if whatever you choose but the reality is that the, uh, in, in one way or another, in form or in spirit, there must always be a Batman. Next up, Batgirl Beyond. 
Alright, so Batman Beyond number 26. So, there wasn't a whole lot that happened, so I don't have a whole lot to actually talk about. Um, the idea that Bruce Wayne is, is kind of given in to the idea that maybe it's a better idea for uh, Terry to link himself to a number of different entities, no matter what they are, whether it be the Metal Men or the Justice League or Maxine, to actually better himself as a hero because he isn't necessarily always going to be able to take off, take out everything that he needs to be able to take on. So what, what do you think of uh, Bruce Wayne kind of coming around and saying this? I like that. I like that, that scene near the end, and I thought that it was it makes sense because Bruce isn't a stupid person. Even in his old age, especially after he had this liver transplant, I don't know, it, it makes more sense. And I think that, like, in Batman Beyond, he's shown to be a bit stubborn, but he's, he's very crafty. And he's very much anticipatory, even more so, you know, for whatever can come up, come ahead. So I thought it made a lot of sense, and uh, I like seeing it. I, I thought that Adam Beachin portrayed it very well. Uh, I just wonder with things like this how much it is uh, just for leading into the next story, uh, whether Bruce will be dead when... Carl Higgins takes over that sort of thing and this is set up for that universe but regardless I, I thought that it was good and it made sense at first it did seem a little out of character because even though yes Bruce is an intelligent character he's been against this sort of thing for a very long time and it took him so long to even warm up to Terry so it seems like wow now he's warming up to sort of opening the Batcave wider. And, of course, you can argue, well, he did this before. You know, he had Robin and Nightwing and Alfred and Batgirl and all that stuff. But look at what happened, and he even sort of reflects on that with uh, trying to bring back Tim and uh, Dick into the fold. So it does seem a little strange. I'm glad that he has, I guess, melted his cold heart a little bit (laughs) uh, in bringing in... Um, more people because he isn't going to last long so perhaps this uh, closeness to death because he was practically dead with um, his liver issues uh, just made him realize that he's not going to be around all the time and that Terry is going to need someone and it is a lonely job so just like Bruce always had Alfred Terry isn't always going to have Bruce but Terry probably needs someone there so you know first reading it i felt like it was out of character but i do think it makes sense at least like psychologically like this is a healthy move for the character but uh should it have been delayed longer you know like joe said is this just convenient for the story who knows well it's an interesting thought because we as we know the next story that's coming up is a very short story with featuring this bat girl beyond and then it's jumping into kyle higgins taking over the series and he's getting to basically move Batman beyond a year forward in time, have him in college instead of high school, and everything is, as we know, is going to change as far as the timing of everything. So it's interesting because I'm wondering, obviously this is Adam Beechin's like last hurrah for the series. He's not writing the Batgirl Beyond story, so it, maybe it was his way of kind of like showing that all of the stuff that's happened leading up to this has actually been a good thing and is, is, has had positive effects on everybody involved. Uh, you know, he's kind of left it open where obviously Kyle Higgins can can play off some of the stuff that's happened, but at the same time there's also things that, you know, have matured over the 26 digital chapters of release. So I think it's interesting. 
The other thing is just a real quick thing. As we talked about this last episode, when we talked about uh, Maxine and how you know why wouldn't uh, why didn't she she explains to Rebel why wouldn't she use it for good, and we talked about well maybe that's uh, leading up to the idea that Maxine could actually do that. Um, so obviously it's revealed that she is going to be trying to you know rework Undercloud as a good entity instead of this entity that Rebel was using it for. Um, at the same time, we have the Metal Men uh, possibly becoming these Watchmen that work f- with or for Bruce Wayne. Um, and then, obviously, Terry's already working with Justice League over in Justice League Beyond. So we have all of these different characters that are now kind of like in the fold, per se, for Batman. What do you think? Do you think that this is like kind of the... I don't. I don't know the best way to put this. Do you think this is Batman Incorporated of the future, or Batman be Incorporated Beyond? Even though they're not necessarily the Batman. I don't know if I want to say it's Batman Incorporated because I don't. I think that's like. I would kind of take it as, as a very specific idea, and I'm not sure how ready DC is able to have that in another title when Grant Morrison is leaving. I, I think they like. I'm, I'm, they could, but like I think they like they want to you know keep them on their team and not try to bug them or whatever. Um, it's definitely like a Batman and the Outsiders kind of thing, where Batman's having different heroes that are of different styles, you know, maybe not necessarily work under him, but like work with him in order to do what he sees fit in terms of protecting uh, the city and the planet. So I think it's more along, to me it's more along the lines of Batman and the Outsiders more than the Batman Incorporated because it's less of a stringent sort of work-related kind of thing, at least as far as I'm, con- as far as I'm concerned it is. Yeah, and I think that even with all of these people, it's still not on the same scale as Batman Incorporated. So it seems like he's he's more establishing a new Bat family. Well, I mean, what if you put into consideration the fact that now they have sort of a watchtower with the Metal Men? Couldn't that be... I mean, that, that seems like it is as big a scale. And if they keep expanding, there is that potential, I think, for a Batman Incorporated. Because I, I think it, it seems like it's a little bit more than a Justice League. No, it's more than a Justice League, although the Justice League at, at this point is like five people, so possibly. Yeah. All right, so Batman Beyond Digital Chapter number 26, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I will give this three and a half out of five batterings too, although I really did like how the issue ended. I'll also give this three and a half out of five batterings. And I will forfeit <laughs> with three and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman Beyond Digital Chapter number 26 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics number 22. Watch yourselves, man. These guys are crazy. Detective Comics number uh, 22, written by John Lehman, illustrated by Jason Fabuck. This issue begins with a flashback of Batman being caught by the police over a couple of dead bodies of police officers. Um, but we kind of back up, and we see that, like, these two officers, I know they have names, but we don't need to know them, uh, happen upon Batman just kind of landing landing from the sky. And so they opened fire, although they probably shouldn't have done that. And Batman escaped because he, he's Batman. He's cool. So uh, Commissioner Gordon explains that, you know, he probably didn't kill these people. In fact, he probably saved you from whatever killed these officers. And um, this is the start of a, of a brand-new storyline involving a cop killer. Um, so we cut to A-Day where we see uh, Alfred and Bruce fly into Caldwell Tech to meet uh, the CEO of Caldwell Technologies, Mr. E.D. Caldwell. And um, 
he is Bruce is very very openly reluctant to both Alfred and Caldwell about working with him. He doesn't want to have his, their companies you know merge together or anything, because as he later explains to Alfred, Caldwell works a lot with weapons development and makes a lot of money off it. Although Alfred does give Caldwell the benefit of the doubt in saying that he does donate back a lot of that money back to charity. But ultimately, Bruce is very, very turned off by this guy. And we see as the helicopter flies off, uh, Caldwell says to his uh, assistants that Bruce Wayne is intent on making our lives very difficult. Batman wants to go back on the hunt towards the cop killer, so we see him fly off uh, in the tumbler. Meanwhile, we see this costume character with a hood in a uh, white armored costume uh, named Scorn. Uh, there's a clue to who, this, who we might be dealing with. Uh, leap onto the rooftops and start attacking police uh, police cars with automated automated weapons. Soon, Batman just bursts out of nowhere and starts tracking him down, although he does stop to make sure that the, the, the two uh, officers who were attacked are okay, and they actually are still alive, contrary to most of the uh, attacks on the cops. So Batman is chasing Scorn on foot and starts to beat him up, when all of a sudden the female cop uh, gets the drop on Scorn, providing a very predictable distraction, and then uh, an armored uh, aircraft starts firing on them while having Scorn escape. So while uh, the officers are alive, uh, Scorn and whoever Scorn is working for is gone. Although he did leave the automated rifle that he attacked the cops with so Batman can analyze it. So we see Scorn uh, answer to this armored figure saying, I would have finished him off, Batman. Batman should not have gotten in the way. And trust me, like the rest of Gotham City law enforcement, Batman will soon experience my full wrath. It's the wrath. So he crushes Scorn's helmet with his bare hand, although his hand's probably enhanced, um, and says, you're fired. You're no longer my sidekick as you were in the cartoon series, and kicks him off the helicopter. Uh, because as the Wrath says, there's something you need to understand about the nature of our partnerships in Gotham. Partners die. Next, vengeance, wrath, and war. So uh, this issue is a very interesting one because it reintroduces uh, Batman villain of the past. Although he's not a typically reoccurring Batman villain, he's a very special case, I think. Um, this is the reintroduction of The Wrath, uh, John Lehman's uh, version of it. And this is really a character that's only very appeared once, although technically he kind of appeared twice. He had sort of a sequel story in uh, Batman Confidential a few years ago. Uh, just a really brief bit of backstory. He originally appeared in a uh, Batman 80s special, and basically the idea of the Wrath is that he is he is literally the anti-Batman. He has the same kind of skills, the same uh, financial background, and his parents are dead. Although in this version they may not they might not be. Um, also interestingly of note is that uh, in the uh, Batman Confidential sequel, uh, the Wrath was revealed to have a partner, just like how Batman had Robin. Uh, he had a partner named Scorn. Or maybe not Scorn, but like he eventually became the, the second Wrath, and that, that version of the Wrath was named E.D. Caldwell, which we see up here and here. And also, the, the Batman animated series, The Batman, uh, did have their version of the Wrath and Scorn um, take on Batman and Robin there. So this is an introduction of a, of a villain who has very few appearances, but I find personally very, very cool. So um, what do you guys think of the uh, idea of the Wrath and how he was presented in this comic book? I think that it, it's an interesting lead-up. Obviously, we're going to learn more about this character as the story continues because this isn't going to be just a one-issue story, obviously. So I think that the, the big thing is that as long as they build him up, his, they, as long as they build both sides of 
Wrath up as far as they build his civilian identity and his his uh, alter ego as Wrath uh, at the same point, it'll work, and I think it will be fine. The problem is when they decide to only do you know when they focus on the Wrath too much and not so much on his his uh, alias or not alias but his actual identity. The problem is that then the character really loses you know the idea behind him. the po- The point is it's supposed to be a a very specific opposite for Batman and Bruce Wayne, and the only way to do that is to show that both sides of the character, his alter ego and his civilian identity, are, are exact opposites of Batman. Yeah, I was quite hesitant going into this. I didn't think it would be nearly as good as it was, but I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, I mean, it's stuff that we've seen before, but I thought it was done in a way that didn't feel too cliche and I really enjoyed the issue um I I thought it was he's an interesting guy that we've we've got going here and introduced and probably one of the more interesting villains that we've seen to, uh maybe in this run and I also got a got a little taste I think of Hush uh just where you bring someone in and you know he's not necessarily related to Batman uh, in his past, but he's very similar to him. So I'm just wondering how this will play out. And just like Dustin, I, I think you do need to see both sides of the of the coin there. So you do need to see him as you've seen him this issue, and then see him as he is in real life. Well, you say that. I mean, and also in this issue, we're not really given much of a backstory. But one of the things that was from the original Wrath story is that like both uh, the Waynes and the Wrath's parents were killed on the same night. And in fact, uh, the Rast parents were killed by Commissioner Gordon because they were like robbing a house or whatever, and um, that was like his his main goal. So, the idea of him going after, after cops might stem from that. I mean, we don't know because this is a different take on him. Um, but it is it does lead itself to a very interesting mystery. I think. I think that like what I like about it is that um, I think that his identity is actually less predictable than it might be. It might not be this E.D. E. Caldwell because, as I said before, he was originally this, the Wrath's partner. And the fact that we see the, the idea of the Wrath killing off his partners who fail him, um, yeah, he might be dead, or he might be the Wrath, or, or whatever. He might, be, he might not even be involved, you know, just giving the benefit of the doubt. So I think that, like, in terms of presentation in this comic book, I thought that, like, it was a, it was a really nice setup. It, it's, not, it's not actually not as easy to guess as it might appear to be. At least I didn't think so. Um... Plus, personally, I thought the art was actually extremely well done. Uh, I'm not sure what else I can really toss out there besides, because this is obviously a, a setup issue to an ongoing ongoing story arc. But um, I, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I, I like this, the Wrath on general, but I thought this version that Layman put in here was very, very entertaining. So that's pretty much all I got. I'd add on to that and say that I agree. I don't think it was necessarily easy straight away to guess because you obviously get the uh, cliche of it being. You know the the guy introduced is going to be the bad guy, but then when he says like, "Oh, to his henchman, this guy's going to be trouble," you sort of I got the impression it was going to be those two were going to be the uh, scorn and wrath, and I, I think that there's a few ways that this could go, and it might not necessarily be the most obvious. And uh, yeah, I definitely think that Jason Fabic did a really great job on the art. I mean, the amount of detail he put into, especially like the buildings in the background. Insane amount of detail. I thought it was really good. 
Yeah, I, I have to I have to agree on that as well. The Jason Fabik's art is he's he's very slowly becoming one of the my favorite artists that are doing that are on the Bat Books right now, um, specifically because of the amount of detail that he has, and the I, we were I was actually just chatting about the uh, the cover for Forever Evil Arkham War, which is done by Fabik himself, and I was already saying that I'd love to have that as a poster with the giant collage of all of the different villains that are that have popped up in in the Batman universe since the New 52 it just show it just highlights Fabix's art and how great it really is so detective comics number 22 I'm going to give a total of 4 out of 5 batterings I'm going to give this a 4.5 because I think that like the artwork was really good I think I mean Jason Fabix has always been a very strong artist but this one, I don't know if it was the coloring or the inking or what but this one just was extremely well done and plus I mean I'm biased. I like the character of the Wrath, but I like the story. I thought it was, I thought it was very well told. And ex- I am very much looking forward to uh, this story. And I've not been able to say that for a Batman story in a while. So I'll give this 4.5 out of 5 batterings. I also think that uh, John Layman did a, a really good job on this issue. I, I found that before he's kind of written the angry, almost quippy Batman, which I, I, I didn't think was particularly good. But in this, it was more subtle. And yeah, the art was fantastic. I'll give this a definite 4 out of 5. I'm going to take it down a little bit. Uh, 3.5 out of 5. Uh, it, like I said, I was interested in the villain and everything, but there is just some some parts of it that I wasn't really uh, too intrigued with. Uh, hopefully it'll pick up from there, but I think it's probably one of the best and in, most interesting villain, new villain entrances we've had so far, and that's that's something that's good, so 3.5 out of 5. All right, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 22 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl number 22. Bruce Wayne here. Bruce, it's Barbara. Hey, Barb. She misses you. How's college? Not bad, though the nightlife here can't compare with kicking butt as Batgirl. But spring break will be coming up soon, and I'll be back in Gotham for two whole weeks. Won't that be nice? Yes. We'll all be happy to see you. Don't drag me into this. Background number 22, a day in uh, a life of endless velocity. Writer, Gil Simone. Yeah, got a double take on that one. Penciler, Fernando Passarin. Inker, Jonathan Guapion. And colors, Blonde. As we pick up from the previous issue, Ricky is waiting at the front door in order to pick up Babs for a date. While Babs, covered in baking supplies and not ready by any standard, uh, is rushing to her room in order to get ready. Alicia is uh, helpful? I don't know. She's offering clothing advice slash judging Babs. And uh, rudely, she brings up the fact that she can't really offer any advice since her last boyfriend was... Oh, wait... Uh, So Ricky and Babs, in a slinky black dress now, walk down the street arm in arm. Ricky has the opera planned with reservations at a French place afterwards. Don't know how he swung that. Within an alley, a creeper says, we got us a bingo. (laughs) Babs wonders what Ricky really does on a first date. And besides paintball, he says that he really likes to dance. So basically, he's Donovan Morgan Grant. But he doesn't yep. think that'll happen ever again. And Babs says he will trust her. Suddenly, the creeper from the alley holds Babs at knife point. Way to have your conversation out of an alleyway, or outside of an alleyway. And two others hold Ricky. Apparently, Ricky's brother, Rolo, 
uh, like those chocolatey treats with the caramel inside. Uh, plans on expanding, and Tyrrell, does Simone read Game of Thrones? Uh, <laughs> doesn't like that. As he threatens to do bodily harm to Babs and slobbers on her ear. Ugh. Ricky creates a distraction by heading one of the guys holding him. Babs takes out her thug and disarms another, telling the final one to take his scuzzball friends and go. Babs explains to a curious Ricky that, well, she has a cop for her father. They end up not going to the opera, but end up back at Ricky's apartment, where Babs meets his family and has a nice home-cooked meal. Later, Babs and Ricky go to a club, and while it takes her a little while to loosen up, she ends up having fun. At Babs' door, she explains that because her father is a cop, she doesn't want whatever Rolo is into to get in the way. Ricky professes that he is not into that, and Babs kisses him. Babs finally stops dancing long enough to go to sleep. The next day, Babs meets her father at GCPD in order to use the firing range. While Babs is queerly uncomfortable, she listens to her father's advice and fires at the target after envisioning James Jr. and Joker. Her aim is marvelous, but she doesn't want to continue, obviously. And Gordon explains that the city has taken so much, he just wants to protect her. It is here and now, after she realizes that he is afraid to lose Babs that she decides she will no longer be Batgirl. That night, Gordon sits by the bat signal. Batman gives his respects to James Jr., but Gordon doesn't necessarily believe it. Batman explains that grief can break a man, speaking from experience, of course. Gordon wants Batman to help him find Batgirl, but then changes his request and tells him to stay out of his way. Gordon then punches Batman, yelling at him for allowing a bright young girl to follow in his footsteps. Now everything is gone for her because he didn't tell her no. Batman apologizes but tells Gordon not to go down the road of revenge because that isn't him. Batman flies off and Gordon turns off the light. Next up we have Batgirl Wanted. So I do have to say before you know, I get into my questions that reading this issue was like stepping out from a smoky, you know, one of those rooms in the airport, like full of smoke, into fresh air. And I just had no idea what was coming. It was a wonderful issue. And I was very shocked by this, that I could breathe fresh air. So first, I do have to ask about, what do you think about this particular Barbara Gordon in this issue? And especially the fact that she is not in costume in the entire issue. You know, I'm okay with her not being in the costume because we've complained about how much she's actually been in the costume and how much they really haven't been focusing on her personal life, uh, at least the last couple months. So I'm okay with her not being in the costume the entire issue, um, mostly because I don't really want to hear Gail Simone's uh, weepy exposition of Barbara <laughs> Gordon when she's in the back row costume. Um, but in addition to that, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm... I mean, I have, there's there's some things that I have complaints about that I'll wait to say, but I like the idea of, despite it being with Ricky and despite the, you know, frustration or tension between her father and her that she herself is the only one who's actually creating, I think that it was nice to see her just having, like, a personal day. Even though it was the you know it was a night and the next day or whatever, but I think it's nice to see Barbara not necessarily having to deal with ridiculous, stupid villains that Gail Simone creates. When I saw the cover to this, my instant thought was <laughs> the uh, punk rock classic "Crawling" by Lincoln Park because it was, it was probably the most 
I know. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, here we go again. It's high school all over again. But, like, you know, God in Heaven, this was actually, like, like a solid issue. And, like, I think it's an interesting storytelling uh, thing that she did because I think if Barbara's going to give up being Batgirl, we're seeing what she can have because of that. She's not going to, you know, like, be, not be Batgirl and then, like, still fight crime. She's going to, you know, have a life with, you know, a dating life and, you know, hang out with her dad and hang out with her roommate. Um, I'm not, I, I honestly don't know why she's dating this guy. And, like, I don't have anything, I don't think of anything against the character or anything, but I, I honestly don't, I don't remember there being legitimate attraction. I mean, they, she kissed him to, like, distract somebody, and that was it. So I'm not exactly sure where this is coming from. But aside from that, I liked it. I mean, you know, I, it's, it's fun to see, <laughs> let me rephrase. As I was about to say, it's, almost, it's fun to see Barbara Gordon trying to try on clothes, and that's not exactly what I mean. But, I mean, it's fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, sure it is. It's, sure it it's is. fun to see Barbara Gordon not, you know, flip out about, you know, crime-fighting stuff. It's fun to see her act like she's a, a, a real person. And that, that reminded me of, like, you know, like, like Dixon's Robin, and, like, it just reminded me of other stuff that we see from these types of Batman characters. Because, like, Batman, it, that's, that's where you deal with all the other dark costume stuff. These characters are supposed to have lives which keep them from being like Batman. And for 22 issues, Babs wasn't. So, like, and, and honestly, the moment that really sold me was uh, during the fight sequence in the alley. Where the guy pulls out the gun and says, like, kill you. And, like, like, like kill you. And, like, she snaps his arm and she says, or she has that inner monologue, I swear. Sometimes I wish I could buy all the creeps in the world a th- thesaurus. And I was like, okay, there we go. Right there. That is Barbara Gordon. That, th- that to me, was like an oracle line. That was, that was pitch perfect. So I, <laughs> it was like a, a bottle of, like, Nubia water all over my face. And, like, in the desert that was this, this dark, depressing comic book. And I was like... Finally, it's it's, and I don't know whether it's helped the fact that she's not Batgirl or not, but this to me felt like it it was a more even toned issue that I think that this title should have, and um, I mean I'm not gonna say like this is like you know the greatest thing I've ever read, but it was easily the best. I, I would say this is the best uh, issue there's been because there was a lack of stupidity, and in place of that we actually got like decent characterization. So I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear you guys say that because I ended up reading this issue with. A big smile on my face, and I thought, "Oh no, this is the one that's broke me." Either like this actually is good, or I'm going to get fired. <laughs> there's like there's a limit to how much you can disagree, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. I, I still think things like the uh, breaking of the arms was like a step too far. I didn't need to necessarily break them, but uh, I I, still, I think this is was definitely a really good characterization of Bob Gordon. I, I really enjoyed it, and it was it was quite fun. Yeah, I was very happy. Like I said, it was a very refreshing issue. Uh, I thought this was probably the strongest that we had seen Babs throughout the entire, what, 22 issues. Um, And it's weird if you think about it, though I I guess I shouldn't too long. Just, you know, how she had been the previous issue or even two issues back when she was inside the psychiatrist's office. Because this is sort of the, the stronger Babs that for a moment wants to put aside what she had been going through and just decide to like sort of live her life i mean she finally got a job which she's been jobless this entire time so i'm glad that she finally decided to get a job um and yeah and the fact she's not in costume i i actually really love that fact because 
one of the great things about Stephanie Brown's series is it was very much 50-50 because you saw her as Batgirl, but you also saw her life, you know, either at her house with her mom eating waffles or, you know, at college studying. And you got to learn more about Steph on both sides of the costume. And right now we sort of just knew Babs, I guess, from being Batgirl. And just through that, it seemed like, well, Batgirl is weak, so Barbara Gordon must be weak. But finally we got to see who this Barbara Gordon person is outside of her costume, uh, just having the... Having this respite. What the hell was that? <laughs> Sorry, my cell phone. Um, having a punk. respite. It was <laughs> <laughs> in um, I like Lincoln Park, actually. It was just great to see her having a respite from her her job as Batgirl and, and getting to see what she is really like. Uh, I did want to talk about, you know, the romance between Babs and Ricky. A couple of you have already sort of brought it up. Um, you know, while I enjoyed this issue and I actually thought it was written well, I don't like uh, these two together. Like, I mean, the whole scene, it, it worked out, but you could have put anyone in, like, his in his place, and it may may have made me feel better. Like, if Jason Bard were secretly Ricky, like, then I would have felt better about it. But I just don't understand how it came about, frankly, um, because they only popped and they ran into each other outside the food bank or whatever. So no. I don't know how, how this happened. Was and, it not uh, also in the DC Universe Valentine special? which we didn't cover. But that was Batgirl and Ricky. Well, since this guy also lost his leg, maybe he's the new Jason Bard. I don't know. So just what are your thoughts on, I mean, are you fine with this relationship? Do you think that this is an okay thing to have? I think the, the I don't have a lot to say about the relationship. I think it's kind of misplaced. I don't, I think it's weird that no matter who you are, I don't know. I don't know very many guys who are going to take a chick to his family to meet his mom on the first date. No. Regardless, I just that's not going to happen. I I mean and I understand that, you know, he's he's it's a different kind of culture and maybe that's different because uh, that's just the way it is, but I think that's just a little bit odd. Um and then I also the other thing that I thought was re- kind of weird was that uh her her inner monologue inside of her head saying that she couldn't figure out if she was disappointed or upset by the fact that or or relieved that he that he didn't want to kiss her and then 5 seconds later she decides well sometimes you have to be the you have to be the girl that takes the initiative and she kisses him um i'm just thinking that maybe you know you know he's a guy who is coming across or at least is being portrayed as a wholesome character decides to take her to see his mother and his brother and eat dinner with his family and she in turn is is was concerned about getting a kiss or not and then has to kiss him regardless i'm just that's not necessarily portraying the character very well because she's coming off as either very needy or very slutty <laughs> no i'm in that last comment <laughs> Um, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the like the last scene of them together, and I'm trying to kind of figure it out. It's like if we're going to see each other, whatever your brother's into. I'm not Barbara. I thought I was for a day, the worst day, but no. He's like, well, alrighty then, and she kind of like just plants one on him. Um, I'm of two minds. Like I don't have a problem with the relationship because the guy isn't like you know, 
if he was as bad as like he initially appeared to be, then that would make no sense. But the fact of the matter is, he's sort of like one of those guys from your average urban movie that wants to come back from the streets. And like, it's one of those kind of things where I think that Barbara Gordon, as somebody who routinely wants to help people, I mean, you can read this in the in the in the, in the Bronze Age stuff. I mean, kind of reminds me of like in like the guy that uh, kind of made her end up trying to go out for Congress. Like, I can kind of see her, you know, get into guys like this. I just, honestly, and I said this before, I, I really genuinely don't know where the romance is coming from. I'm not sure why she's interested in him. I, I feel like I've missed something. Like, I don't remember her saying, like, well, he's cute or, well, he has style or whatever. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't remember. And it could be my fault, but, like, it's, it's a serious blank spot that, like, I'm not seeing where it's coming from. Now, that doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the of the issue. Necessarily, I'm not saying that Gail Simone just kind of pinged this out of nowhere because we've had them interact before. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's fine. I think it's interesting that like like a member of the Bat Family is dating like you know this type of characters. I don't think we've seen that before. I don't think we've seen we've not seen any of the Robins or Batman date former criminals who weren't Catwoman or supervillains. So that's kind of that's, that to me is kind of cool. Um, it's not the, like the greatest romance in the world, but it, it's it's fine. It's, it's completely serviceable, and it's not you know damning to our intelligence like most issues usually are. So I don't have, I don't have a, an issue with the romance, as I'm guessing Stella might. Um, and, and issues I do have is really just comes down to the fact that I'm not sure where Barbara's feelings are really coming from, and that kind of that kind of is it. I definitely don't have a problem because even though I, I don't necessarily know where it came from it's improved the quality of the book so i'm just willing to go with it i don't know if that's necessarily the reason why the book was suddenly uh <laughs> like the quality suddenly went up because he was part of the problem for me anyways like that random kiss in the alleyway that batgirl and ricky had and then ricky had been sort of dotted along the entire time i mean the date itself was written well but i don't think it was written Ricky's presence for being it. I just did double check the Young Romance special number one, and Fox uh, made it so that Batgirl and Ricky kiss. Um, so it wasn't bad. So I just wonder where it came from. Like I would really like to know that. Uh, not I. You know, I, I guess I talked about this on BTO because somebody randomly said, you know, when she was in uh, Washington. Uh, Tricky Dick Nixon would have been around <laughs> as president or whatnot, and do you think she would have ever had a relationship with that uh, political person? <laughs> some other, some other uh, political relationships. Nixon. And I thought to myself, um, <laughs> well, it was it was a good email question. Uh, I don't think so because I mean she does. She's not a shallow person. Uh, because even in that issue, she, like, or one of the recent issues, she said, you know, I never thought of myself as beautiful. But I don't really see her as dating someone like Ricky, like someone, you know, straight off of the streets. Uh, she's always sort of been for this uh, more clean-cut uh, American sort of guy. I mean, Jason Bard, look at Jason Bard. Uh, then you have the senator, Robert Cleary, uh, even Ted Court. Like, all of these people are really clean-cut. And then all of a sudden, we've got this guy that... I mean, sometimes he has half of a mohawk, but this time it seems better. Um, and, and I don't want that to seem too judgmental. I guess maybe it is, but that's it, it just doesn't, like, I feel no chemistry for those people. And I know these are fictional people, so you're like, so what, you know, shut up. But for me, it just seems like you could put a better character in there, and it would it'd be awesome. Uh, the story was written well with or without Ricky, but I just don't like that particular relationship. I would agree, though. That I, don't th- I don't think there is much chemistry between the two of them. I, I, think I mean, I, yeah. 
I guess we'll see. I, I just, my big question is how did this even happen? Because it's really been Ricky Backerel, Ricky Backerel. Even his brother said, you need to get away from the bat or I'll start using that relationship. Uh, she bumped into him outside of a soup kitchen. But, I mean, there was like flirting, but nothing really happened after that. So I just wondered how it all went about. Uh, my third and, I guess, second to last, the interaction between Batman and Jim. At the end of this, um, Jim obviously is pretty upset with everything. He decks him, very Stephanie Brown move. Uh, what did you think about this, on character, off character? I think that Gordon himself, James Gordon, is kind of been writ- written a little bit, well, extremely different, especially if you compare what happens in Detective Comics this month with the interaction between Gordon and his police officers related to Batman and the reaction that Gordon has to Batman appearing in Batgirl. It seems as if that is entirely, completely different uh, as Jim Gordon is defending Batman in Detective Comics, but in Batgirl, he's basically punching him in the face and saying, you should have never allowed her to work for you. And, yeah, so. Yeah, this bit I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really like. I, I actually, I'm a, I'm two minds. I think that Gordon's acting out of character to me and, like, just how he's dealing with Batman. He's, he's, he's acting like a... Like I pick a prick, and like just like the the, the dialogue or the, not the dialogue, but the artwork. Like, like Batman's like, I'm sorry to hear about your son did. So, uh, uh, so I'm sorry to hear about your son, Jim. Are you? I wonder. No big loss, right? Just nothing off the bat scene. Why does Batman never give him the impression that he thinks like that? It's like Gordon's not acting like Gordon. He's acting like a cop and, and like, like like a random cop that isn't familiar with Batman. I've seen ba- Gordon angry with Batman before, and usually it feels very earned, like like in No Man's Land that that felt earned and. Uh, like uh, Batman Venom, that felt earned. Basically, it's whenever Batman goes away. But um, this is just like, like we have to have Gordon angry because his son is dead, and it it doesn't really feel natural for the character to be like that. I thought that the whole line about him said, "You allowed this this random girl to do this." I thought that was a very interesting line, and it reminded me a lot of Batgirl and Robin Year One, where like he was. Gordon was extremely hesitant over Batman having partners and said, like, I don't want you doing this again. So it kind of reminded me of that. But at the same time, it also, like, I don't know, it feels, it feels forced to me. And it, I can imagine him being angry, but, like, just because, and granted, like, you know, he thinks Batgirl killed his, his son stupidly. But, I mean, this, this to me feels very, like, like, like Gil Simone, like, like, writes these scenes, and I, I don't think she actually thinks them through. And, and however that sounds, it honestly feels like, you know, is this really how Gordon would act? Or is this, like, you know, a situation we need in the comic book to say that, that it happened? So, I, ultimately, I didn't, I, this was the, the weak part for me. I think I understand it, but I guess I agree that... I think it makes sense for a character to react like this, but maybe not Gordon. And it's probably a bit... Possibly a bit over the top. I, I, I still think that it's kind of... It makes sense for him to be angry and maybe take it on Batman because he's the one concealing Batgirl who he's angry at and stuff but I, I also found that line really interesting yeah it reminded me a bit of uh, Batgirl year one and it also seemed weirdly specific towards Barbara but then we established earlier that he doesn't know that it's Barbara but uh, I, yeah I, I would agree it's going to be interesting to see where this goes because obviously he's not acting like this in any of the other books that's no big surprise. I'm actually happy that there is sort of this confrontation between uh, the two of them. Uh, I, I think it's in his own right that he is upset. Um, 
I very much saw it as a Batgirl year one situation, just him yelling at Batman and saying you're the responsible party and it's your responsibility to say no. And, and I feel like that has happened before. So the dialogue along those lines, I could definitely see him uh, decking Batman, I felt like was sort of over the top. I didn't think that was necessary. And the whole uh, you should have said no to the girl where is this where where is this argument though for Robin? Like you should have said no to the boy. Like there's sort of that double standard though, because really he should have said you should be saying no to these sidekicks, these underage people, you're taking them in and they they have a future and you're I mean well, I think the reason he said back girl was because that's who he's gonna be going after. Yeah. I just think like the argument could go either way, but uh, it does seem foolish that he, you know Batman would give up anything because he asked him initially, you know, help me find her or and then just stay out of my way. Uh, so some of the points I think are valid, and some of them I think uh, maybe that's too much over the top. And my final thing is obviously I, I feel like we all across the board enjoyed this issue, uh, and this is very uplifting compared to the previous. I would probably say. Uh, <laughs> 80% of the issues. Um, so why why is this story so different? What makes this story have such a different feel from what we have seen before? Well, I think, that, like I said earlier, I think the biggest thing is it's just the, it's, it's exploring more of the personal life of Barbara Gordon outside of her constantly being in the Batgirl suit and doing that. Nightwing has a good mix of Nightwing in costume, Nightwing out of costume, Nightwing dealing with other things while he's not well, he's just Dick Grayson, and for Barbara Gordon, we really haven't seen a whole lot of that. There's been stuff here and there, but not nearly as much as some of the other books. And I think that that's one of the reasons it's it's a it's very it's very different, and that's why we like this because it also reminds us a lot of Stephanie Brown as Batgirl too. Now, I I do want to say I did like this issue, but I just wanted to mention just some real quick points that I didn't like. I didn't like the fact that it was mentioned about four different times. I know for a fact it was at least three, but I want to say it was four, that she mentioned at various points that she doesn't like guns, she doesn't like guns, I got a thing with guns, I got a thing with guns. That was annoying. The other thing is, uh, <laughs> we, we talked about how violent she, uh, she's been the last couple issues, or how violent things in general have been, mm -hmm. and I think that the entire sequence between her and those muggers that were trying to basically... Uh, get her and Ricky in the alley. I think she, she went a little bit extreme. I know someone said that earlier. I just wanted to say that it's it's a little odd that even she just chalks it up as, oh, well, I'm a cop's daughter. Of course, I can defend myself and literally make someone bleed all over the place and blood splattered all over the panel. But I thought that was a little extreme. The other thing that I found a little annoying was the fact that the entire time she's at the gun range, this goes back to the gun aspect, Yes, we know she's got a problem with guns. We've heard it a gazillion times. Gail Simone has no problem reminding of us, reminding of, reminding us of that every single time a gun pops up. That Barbara Gordon has a problem with guns because of the horrible thing that happened to her with the Joker. Even though we don't know how she recovered from that horrible thing that happened with the Joker um, during the entire gun range thing, the fact that she's like, like. You could just tell by the way she was talking, she's she was really like getting completely agitated just by holding the gun. And to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense because it's one thing if you had a gun pointed at you and that's where the trauma is. But if you're holding a gun, that doesn't make a lot of sense that you would have a problem with guns just because you're holding one. It's a different thing 
if a gun's pointed at you than if you're holding a gun. It's a completely different thing. So that was that was the the few things that I had a problem with it. But overall, I think the personal aspects outweighed those small problems. I think that what makes this issue good is that Barbara isn't because every other time that I've read it, Barbara's just consistently proven to be like this like this early morose, like you know, sad, unpleasant person. And, like, that's just – I mean, I don't know why Simone thinks that, like, that's appealing. I mean, I think that she sees it – I think Simone, to, like, you know, pretend to get in her head, because I am that pretentious, come, comes across in, as, a, as a writer in this title, is that, like, to justify Barbara as Batgirl again, she has to put her against the worst kinds of people. And she has to be this really tough person, mired in, not mired in misery and, you know, like, like, just this, this really t- terrible world of a comic book to make her look better. And I don't think that, that that's very appealing. That's not why people like Batman, although a lot of writers think that's what we do. But this issue was a lot more versatile in its tone. There was people smiling. You know, the, like scenes of her on a date was nice because it's her enjoying her life. We see different aspects of her life because we like different aspects of the character. Um, I mean, there were some things I didn't. I, I, I think this issue was perfect. I mean, I, I don't know why uh, Gordon and Barbara are smiling at each other when they're when you know the sun is dead. Like that's, <laughs> that, that, felt, that felt totally inconsistent to me. Um, I agree that the scene in the alley did it, it, remind, it, it reminded me of uh, Watchmen when uh, the Silk Spectre oh, like yeah. messes up that guy. I, yep. I, I, I thought of that, and, and I, again, I, I think that I don't think you need to show that much violence all the time. You know, mm-hmm. there are times where Batman disables people without even laying a hand on them, and like I don't know why Barbara can't do the same. Um, there, there's there's there is still an overall tone of like dark violence in this book, but I thought this one it was it was lifted just a bit, almost for a change of pace. And I'm wondering whether this is a start of a new era, Batgirl, or if this is just, you know, a diamond in the rough where, like, the, every issue after this is going to be more of, of, of what it was before. And I don't want to enjoy this issue because it's, it's so different, but, like, it has legitimate positives of its own. But I think that, like, there were some legitimate good things to enjoy here. And much of that was the characterization of Barbara being a, a more of a pleasant person and her relationships with uh, Alicia, Ricky, and her dad. I think the main difference that makes this so much better than the last issues is the inner monologues because we're used to her being Batgirl and she'll be riding along on a motorbike and see a small boy and be like, oh, that reminds me of James. He used to be a small boy and now he's dead because I killed him. Whereas in this, she was just focusing more on the date and having fun and the whole issue just had more overtones of it just being fun and her being relaxed. She She chose not to focus on her brother and things like that, which I enjoyed a lot more. There was that scene in the alley where it returned a bit to that over-the-top violence, but I think even that wasn't as gratuitous and, and definitely not as gory as it has been in issues past. So I definitely hope that this is... I mean, if she's dropping the back on mantle, then maybe it will continue in this vein, and I, I hope it does. Yeah, I guess that's something we didn't even discuss, um, just the fact that she said... <laughs> she's no longer going to be Batgirl, but I guess that's because I don't really believe it. Um, you know, I think I when I, I was texting with Donovan about, about this issue, and I just felt like the characters actually had purpose in this particular story. And, and it wasn't a sob story. They, they were actually carrying on with their lives and, and moving forward. And that was really all of them, and especially Batgirl, Will Barbara Gordon. So just to not have a whiny story or to be refreshing over and over again, some pain <laughs> uh, was great. And I guess it was violent, that, that scene, but 
um, it still was refreshing in the fact that it wasn't the previous issue with all that stuff that went on with that doll and the uh, reanimated parents. So it was like a far different degree. But again, this book should be it should be lighter even than this. All right. So Batgirl number twenty-two. I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Ditto. Three point five out of five batterings. Three point five out of five batterings. You know, I'm feeling an odd sensation, but I'm going to give it <laughs> four out of five batterings. Okay, so Batgirl number 22 gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Incorporated number 12. My name is Talia, and I too have business with the Society of Shadows. Batman Incorporated number 12, written by Grant Morrison with art by Chris Burnham. The issue starts where issue 11 ended, with the transformed Batman flying to the top of Wayne Tower to attack Talia, the heretic, and her bodyguards. Batman is surrounded by an army of bats laced with man-bat antidote, which transform all of Talia's henchmen back to humans. Batman swoops down and carries the heretic off to another rooftop where they continue to fight. The battle rages throughout Gotham, and they fall from a building to a school bus before he cut to Dick and Tim, as Jason begins to reveal the true motives of Spiral. It turns out that the group is part of the international intelligence community who have been keeping an eye on Batman ever since the, ever since the launch of Batman Incorporated. The headmistress, who I let believe is Kathy Kane, sends Batman Inc. to shut down the Ouroboros ring. Back to Batman, the, the fight continues through the bus and to the base of Wayne Tower when Nightwing and Knight appear, sporting jetpacks and eager to fight. Together, they destroy the Mask of Heretic to reveal the cloned face of Damien, which disgusts Batman. The Heretic escapes into Wayne Tower, and Knight chases after him, bloodthirsty, after what he did to Cyril. But Batman pulls them back as the giant W from the tower falls and lands where they would have been. At the top of Wayne Tower, disgusted by his actions, Talia beheads the Heretic and boards a helicopter. As she flies off, she presses the trigger causing the heretic's body and subsequently the entire Wayne Tower to explode. Nightwing mentions to Batman about a bigger picture, to which she replies, she needs Batman Incorporated, I'll do the rest. We then cut to Wayne Manor, where Talia, in a Batwoman-esque costume, descends the stairs to the Batcave to face Batman. Uh, so the first thing I had is what we're all expecting to see in this next and final issue. Well... We talked about this before, and we thought that maybe Talia was going to actually die, and maybe that was the the end all outcome. Was you know Talia would be would basically well okay. So let me we talked about maybe Talia would die, and that would be the one way that this could go back to the way it was. My thoughts on what could actually happen is she gets into a fight with Batman. She's outmatched because, quite honestly, I don't see Talia being a worthy opponent for Batman. Razel Ghul. Maybe in mind, but probably not physically. Was is is Ra's al Ghul a formidable opponent for Batman? Uh, Hederick was probably the best chance Talia had of taking Batman out, and that didn't work either. So realistically, I don't really see it happening. It seems as if her entire plan has basically imploded, and she has, you know, besides blowing up Wayne Tower, what else does she really have that's going to take out Bruce Wayne, Batman? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, what I feel as if it's going to happen is she, they're going to get into a fight. Batman is basically going to, she's going to say to Batman that it's over and she wants her to, he wants, she wants him to kill her because she regrets having to make Damien 
basically the martyr for whatever her campaign is, or not a martyr, but basically the the victim of her campaign, and uh, she's going to ask Batman to kill her. Kill her. I don't see that Batman actually doing it, but in turn, I think Ra's al Ghul will emerge from his his uh, Swiss Alps uh, hideout that Talia has been holding him prisoner in, and take back the uh, entire organization that uh, Talia has taken from him. But overall, I just I don't see a whole lot happening with uh, Talia in general. Uh, I don't really know what to expect with this last issue, just because it doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of chips left on the table. I hope the next issue is double sized or, or extra sized. Um, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this before, but like I saw a preview image of Batman and Talia kissing, which disgusts me because that's not the situation that <laughs> you should be in when your son is dead. Um, so I, I asked, honestly, you know what it is? It reminds me of that that god awful, terrible, horrible uh, like Rise of Red Arrow or Rise of Arsenal miniseries. I don't know if anybody read that back when that came out, but God, that was awful. It was it was right after um, Roy Harper lost his arm. Anyway. Um, I, I hope there's some action. I, I like fights in the Batcave, and it'll be interesting because this is the first time that I think Batman and Ty have really faced off with since she became like a incredible threat. And because this is the first time they'll, they'll face off after Damien's died, I really want just like a really good fight between those two people in the Batcave. That's all. I, and I want there. I want honest, um, not consequences, but I want I, I want a sense of um, uh, catharsis. You know, I, I want. You know, Damien says to really impact on whatever the work's going to be, and I don't want the day to be saved by Kathy Kane. I really, really, really don't want that. God help me if it happens. <laughs> Wouldn't she be like the ultimate Deus Ex Machina? She came out of nowhere and saved. Yep, and yet all signs point to that. How do all signs point to that? Because Gil- uh, Gilson, Grant Morrison has technically, a- if all signs pointed to that, it wouldn't be a Deus Ex. Uh, Grant Morrison has a love for Kathy Kane that is unnatural and improbable in the Batman universe. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're obviously going to have the closure and a fight between Batman and Natalia. I also hope that there's some catharsis in there. After Dustin mentioned Raish, I don't know if Batman would have gone and rescued him from his prison and let him kill his own daughter or something along those lines. I, I just... I, I don't really know how this is going to end and I don't I don't think Batman would end up killing her but would I be alright with that if that happened I'm not sure because of I guess that would then I don't know because like Grant Morrison really is kind of carving his own path and just kind of doing what he wants which I I do like but I'm not sure what impact that would have on the rest of the Batman universe I also hope that in the next issue we kind of we got a bit more of it on this but uh see closure on this spiral thing because it's kind of only in the last couple of issues we've seen oh actually they're kind of good guys and um we got the the name of the uh what was international intelligence community things like that so that's kind of been thrown left open now and hopefully we'll in this next issue we'll come to understand exactly what that means uh, I'm not actually sure if this is going to be an exercised issue it feels like it should be to close up those two things but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I just hope that we get decent closure on everything because it would kind of suck if this whimpered out the last issue. The other thing I had is, are we satisfied with the demise of the heretic? I, you know, I don't, I don't really have any qualms with that just because 
the heretic to me has always been this like odd character outside of the box as far or outside of the sandbox of the characters they've been playing with. Um, the fact that he was basically introduced to play into this story, but never really had any. Like it would be different if the heretic was actually like heretic. The heretic was actually like Ubu you know, enhanced or something like that where we actually had some feelings, but realistically it's just another Damien clone who was age faster whoop de doo I could care less the fact that she beheads him because basically he didn't do what he wanted, what she wanted him to do I'm okay with that, the fact that the entire time he had a bomb strapped on his back, it shows how, you know little she actually cared and I guess kind of puts a kink into my theory of whether or not she would actually regret the death of Damien because the fact that she's using a clone, a different clone of her son, basically saying that this was a better specimen, she told that to Damien, and she had no problem putting a bomb on his back, means that you know she probably just doesn't really care that much at all. I, th- I think, honestly, that was the only way it could have legitimately happened, because Batman's not going to kill the guy. Um... But Talia didn't like the. She, she wasn't really keen on Damien dying, and she kind of smacked him around when that happened. So like uh, uh, the heretic. So her ultimately killing him for failing to kill Batman to me just like that. That's like the Al Ghul in her. And to, I mean, I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but like it was like yeah, that that makes sense. That that's what probably should happen. I did think that like the fight between him and Batman was really nice because Batman was. I don't know if you're, we mean to talk about that later on, but. Batman was very much like you. You killed my son. I'll show you defeat. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's that. There you go. That's that is that's it right there. That's that one. So like, I thought that him and Dick and um, Beryl, their vengeance on this guy was was really justified. Like I like Beryl saying, I kill him, I kill him. But like um, <laughs> like Bruce and Dick getting away. I, I, Bruce and Dick letting him get away. I thought that was nice. You got catharsis from Batman and Dick getting vengeance against this guy. But you know he's ultimately killed by. The mother of the person he killed, which is basically his clone. So I thought it, it, Morrison really made it work out in the end, where all parties got kind of got their revenge. Although the uh, the lightning hitting the W was a bit comic booky, but uh, who cares? I, I that didn't that didn't upset me at all. But I, ultimately, I did like the way he kind of went out. It was gruesome, but like it kind of I felt it, it needed to be gruesome in that case. He was a monstrosity, and he needed to go. <laughs> Oh man! Once you saw what his face was, it was like a baby on a on a uh, man's body. Baby I was, face. I was pretty disturbed by it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um. So I'm. You know. I'm fine with him dying. I feel like that was inevitable. Uh, as for Talia being the one to actually drop the axe or the hammer, as it were. Um. I I agree with Don. Just the fact that. It probably wasn't going to be Batman, and, I mean, number one, he failed her, and number two, she was sort of put off by her actual son uh, being killed by him, and the fact that he was just a test tube baby, so, really, is it okay? I I think it's okay that we killed him off. Yeah, I think Don summed it up in that. We got the catharsis of Batman beating him up and taking his vengeance on him, and then we also got to see him die, which is probably the right thing. Uh, by the hands of Talia, and then not only that, but just the really cold way that she ended him, just saying, you know, there's thousands of you, you mean nothing to me, you know, I can just grow another one of you anytime I want, you you mean nothing, and uh, chops his head off, so I think that the way that he went out was definitely suitable for this story. 
Alright, so Batman Incorporated, number 12, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. Oh, I'm going to give this a four. I really, I really enjoyed this issue. I thought this, uh, this, was really, this was really entertaining. And I liked how just like quickly Batman beat everybody up uh, in, his, like, in his like you know exoskeleton. I'll give this four or five bad ranks. I'll give this a 4.5. Great story. And it was great to have a full issue of Burnham Art. And I particularly yes. love the scene of him in the in the school bus with just the terrified children. 3.5 out of 5 for me. Alright, so that's going to give Batman Incorporated number 12 a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 22. I assume that as you're taking on the underworld, this symbol is a persona to protect those you care about from reprisals. You're thinking about Rachel? Actually, sir, I was thinking of myself. Batman number 22, Zero Year, Secret City Part 2, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. The uh, issue starts off with basically the a blimp being taken over by the Red Hood gang. Uh, they are ambushing it because, in fact, it turns out Oswald Cobblepot uses the blimps to carry uh, stolen merchandise and things that are not supposed to be checked by, or they're supposed to be checked by customs. Uh, he take, uses the blimps to get them. As it turns out, the Red Hood Gang is after a very specific gun that is manufactured by Wayne Enterprises. Uh, after Oswald Cobblepot attacks the head of the Red Hood Gang, um, it is revealed that it's not actually Oswald Cobblepot, but it's actually the vigilante that's been going against uh, uh, the Red Hood Gang momentarily. Uh, the Red Hood, Red Hood uh, ends up telling his henchmen to grab him, and uh, they start tearing off his mask, and just as his face is about to be exposed, he takes cover behind one of the henchmen, scrapes his uh, scrapes the main Red Hood gang's uh, leader in the back to get his DNA, and jumps out the, the window of the blimp. As it turns out, he's using the shoes that we saw in the last issue, where he is climbing along the bottom side of the blimp, where it's revealed that he actually has Oswald Cobblepot tied up at the bottom. He puts a parachute on uh, and jumps off. We then cut to a scene where we see the orb that we saw the last issue that uh, Thomas Wayne showed Bruce. Uh, Bruce is using it inside of the cavern, trying to explore what it is. Uh, But as he's doing it, he falls, and the bats attack him. Meanwhile, back at the bunker, or the location that they currently are using. Bruce is talking to Alfred. They are, Bruce is testing out some sort of grapple gun uh, that has some sort of voice command to be able to release the hook back to him. Uh, Alfred has explained to him that he needs to go public, and that's the best way because that's what his father did, and that was one of the easiest ways to do it. Um, they get into a pretty big argument after Bruce calls Alfred a coward, and uh, Alfred walks off and says that he's going back to the manor. Bruce is pretty ticked about this, uh, but then he decides to call Philip Kane. Uh, Philip Kane says, oh, meet me at the museum at about midnight. We'll talk then. Uh, then Bruce says, listen, we've got, we got a problem. The Red Hood gang got a hold of some of our weapons. You need to stop production on these weapons. Uh, Philip says that that's not going to happen. And uh, Bruce says, listen, uh, I don't like you ruining the Wayne name. And he says, look, at, uh, we can, you can be a part of the company if you come out and say you're still alive. And uh, just as we believe, it's led to believe that he's actually, Philip Kane is going to uh, actually do something horrible, as suggested in the last issue, the lights turn on and we see a big banner that says, Welcome home, Bruce, and a number of high-profile Gotham citizens applauding the return of Bruce Wayne. 
photographers are there, including Vicky Vale. He passes a uh, Bruce Wayne runs out of the room very quickly and passes a Sphinx and uh, runs into Edward Digma, who introduces himself as an advisor to his uncle. He gives him a riddle, and uh, we then are led to a page that shows the uh, the Ouroboros and a very odd panel that I've never, at least I've never seen before, anything similar to it. Uh, then it basically is describing the fact that Bruce Wayne should come back to uh, Wayne Enterprises and the, the best thing to do to kind of outdo what his, his uncle is doing by allowing weapons to get into the hands of terrorists is to come back to Wayne Enterprises. Uh, Bruce Wayne says, listen, um, you can tell Philip that I'm coming for him. And he says, uh, I already did. He doesn't listen to me anymore. Bruce climbs up the uh, makeshift Sphinx inside the museum, climbs out the skylight. After telling Edward Nigma, he figured out exactly what his riddle was. He says he'll have to come up with better riddles than that. We then are shown um, Bruce Wayne taking a taxi back to his his uh, brownstone, and uh, the taxi driver is revealed to be a member of the Red Hood Gang, the leader of the Red Hood Gang, and uh, as Bruce walks in, he sees a big banner that says, Welcome home, Bruce, filled follow, uh, with a number of presents laying on the floor. Uh, Red Hood flips a switch and the building blows up next the end of bruce wayne uh we then cut to the backup where it says location unknown age 21 bruce wayne is stuck inside of a small area and he lights a match only to find that he is stuck inside of what appears to be a tomb of some sort with a bunch of broken gadgets we then cut to a previous time where he is being taught by someone who is basically t teaching him how to create different gadgets and things like that. Back at the present, we are introduced to a number of different devices, all which are broken. Uh, basically, it's revealed that this teacher of his was trying to teach him different ways to incorporate technology together to make something able to be used. So, uh, as we see outside of uh, the actual Sphinx in Egypt, it's revealed that this this teacher is sitting there with his monkey drinking a juice box. <laughs> when in fact, when in fact Bruce Wayne busts out of the ground with the device that he used, using the the knowledge that he learned from this teacher who is in fact a Russian. Next, Deathmatch Fight Club. All right. So the first thing I've got is I would like to know whether or not you guys thought the I want to start with the backup. What do you think of the backup? Because last month we saw these these interesting uh these these interesting points with uh the idea that he was learning from a, a terrorist but then he eventually took him down. This time around he's he's working with a guy who creates gadgets. I just wanted to know what you guys are thinking of the current idea of what they're doing with the backup. I like it because I think that, that they're really trying to think outside of the box and Really trying to see if what Batman would need and how Bruce Wayne would learn that. That's not been done before. It's like, oh, who's going to teach him boxing? Well, that's, that's been shown before. But how will Bruce kind of, you know, come up with technology and be good scientifically? Because that's something that Batman is. He's a scientist, but he's not, you know, that's not really an aspect that's been played upon a lot recently. And I like the idea that, like, he kind of had to both escape with something that he would make on the fly. I thought that was actually a very... Uh, novel idea that I've never seen before. I thought that so far they're they're use, they're they're using these backups very very well to tell a story that we like we 
I, I have to say it's something that we need to see, but it's something that you know that this this information that we certainly would appreciate. So I thought that this, this is a, a great way to kind of use this uh, story. I I agree, and we again had that almost call back to the main issue with the reference to the Sphinx, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a definitely an interesting way to tell that aspect of Bruce's training, and I end up finding the backup, I'd say, more interesting than the main issue. Uh, I unfortunately, I'm not really a fan of the art, but it's it's not so offensive that Raphael I'm Albuquerque. put off by it. Okay, so then let's get to the main story. So, what did you think of the the idea that Philip Kane just basically blindsided Bruce and led him to believe that he was in this odd situation where he was just going to basically be killed in some way, and in turn he actually was revealed that he is alive because it it better benefits the idea of Wayne Enterprises. Eh, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Like, like I I realized as we we start began covering this issue in, uh, tonight that like I think that all, a lot of these issues that we've covered are very like you know plot development heavy. And ironically, I've always I've, I've enjoyed pretty much all of them, but I think that like this one's actually the one I enjoyed the least comparatively because a lot of this stuff is kind of very involved. It's very involved in its own plot, and it's not so much a beginning story of Batman as it is you know announced a story in and of itself about like the company and obviously Bruce Wayne becoming Batman. But I wasn't really feeling it in this one. I, I Bill Kane and like you know the Wayne Industries and Bruce's you know revealing. I, I I I didn't find myself caring that much, and I didn't. I it wasn't you know anything that like I that I I, I didn't take take much away from it. Honestly, I, I didn't feel feel anything from it. I didn't really feel there was any reason for me to care. I agree. I I didn't mind the or quite like the misdirection in that aspect of you know thinking he's going to get blown up or something, and then the reveal of the actual plot. So I I didn't mind that, but yeah, this. I'm not sure if it's because it's taking place in the past or because we've seen so many origin stories before. It just feels... I, I know we haven't necessarily seen this time period before, but it just kind of feels unnecessary. And like it does, it just feels like it's not part of Batman's actual history. I don't, I don't know why. I'm not sure if it will become that as we get more issues, but that's how I feel at the moment. I mean, the problem is it's supposed to be a Batman origin story, and this one, I feel like it was very Bruce Wayne heavy. Like, I guess right now in my mind, I oh, can't yeah. even... Well, well, do you think it should be that way? Like, why isn't it more about Batman warning what's going on? I mean, or is it, or Bruce Wayne, or Batman as Bruce Wayne, but this was like, like very much Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne. And it's all this like side story that I don't necessarily care about. And it was very complicated. And I may be a somewhat intelligent person, I guess uh, I'll say that. But, I mean, if I want to read a complicated comic, then I'll read Watchmen. But for me, like, the enjoyment comes out of, like, a, a, a more, like, straightforward plot. I mean, in physics class, I learned kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. And, like, to, to me, like, just a straightforward plot... Um, with things that aren't like pulling your mind elsewhere is it's better you can get into it um, better and have more enjoyment but this is just like 
what is going on? Uh, so, no, I didn't really enjoy the previous issue, but I, I'd say that this is even like a step down from the previous issue. So, not really liking whatever the Kane guy's doing, no. So, my thing is this. I, I got this odd, weird feeling that a lot of this Phil Kane stuff, the fact that they're incorporating the Riddler in this story, um, and then the whole idea of the the fight between Alfred and Bruce, it really comes down to the idea of we're like like Stella said, it's it's overcomplicating the story that needs to be there. We're getting a lot more that's popped inside of the story than really needs to be. We got it. Bruce Wayne doesn't want to go public with the fact that he's back. That was that was laid out in last issue, but yet we had to have this ginormous discussion between Bruce and Alfred that lend that turned into a fight between the two of them because of the fact that Bruce doesn't want to go public, and then we have to have him actually be revealed that he's still alive and at the museum, and it's just like, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Scott Snyder's stuff that seems like he's he's being more detailed than he needs to yeah. be. That's not always necessarily a bad thing, but the problem is that in this case, it just comes across as he's doing a lot more than what needs to be shown inside of the actual book. And that's what ends up making these this uh, these actual series turn into twelve issue story arcs instead of six issue story of, arcs. Yeah. So I mean that's the that's the biggest problem is that it just feels like there's all this extra stuff that doesn't need to be there. I would absolutely agree. I think the polar opposite of this is de- de- Detective Comics because uh, I thought that like the the plot in that issue with like the introduction of E.D. Caldwell and his in his company and the cop killers and all that was extremely straightforward. It left nothing to the imagination, and it, and it moved very briskly. This feels I'm not going to say convoluted, but it feels more involved than it, than I think honestly needs to be because I don't really care about Wayne Industries or Bruce's you know care of the company. I know I know we need to get to a certain point where he comes out and runs the company again, but like. I this I don't know like like I mean I think there were mis I think there were um, misappropriated priorities in telling the story because I think that the that the interesting thing about it is how Bruce Wayne becomes Batman by and large however you want to tell it and I think that like he's, this story is getting really involved in like the idiosyncrasies of the context of the era back then where it's like you know well there was this Red Hood gang and there was Philip King and there was this and there was that and like. I truly don't don't care about that. I really don't. I mean, like, Death of the Family, I thought was a bit more straightforward than this because it was basically like just Joker's back, worry about it. And Court of the Owls was like, you know, what are the Court of Owls? I thought I thought that was a bit involved. This to me feels very, very just kind of like overly con- overly concentrated on things, which I'm not sure why we should care about it. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where the intrinsic interest uh, comes from. I'm not sure why we would be interested in this kind of story in this in this issue. I think the problem is that we were promised an origin story, and I don't think that's actually what we're getting. Because I mean, we're told in like three different interviews, like, "Oh yeah, this is this is this is an interview. Uh, this is an origin story for the New Fifty Two, and then we're told oh, this is Batman train learning his training. This is something else, and this is already Batman. So this isn't really an origin. I'm not sure if this is supposed to be his first case in Gotham or what it is, but I don't think that we're getting what we promised and that's why it feels convoluted because like Don said this is a story in of itself and it's not I think what it was packaged as being I also don't feel that this is really Bruce Wayne I mean in the last issue like he's already been on his train he's supposed to be Batman now 
he's come back, he's supposed to be calm, he's supposed to be collected, intelligent. And then he's having fights with people, he's angry, flips someone off the other issue, this one he calls someone a piece of shit. And it just doesn't feel like Batman. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's douche. supposed to be, oh, he is Batman, but he's not the Batman, he's not Batman as we know him yet, or I don't know where this is in time, and I think that's the issue that I'm having with it. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest problem is that it, this isn't... I think the reason it's marketed as an origin story is because this is how he ends up becoming Batman and not so much the random person who wears disguises all over Gotham City as what he, it's been portrayed, at least in the last two issues. The problem is it's not coming across very well as a Batman origin story. It's more like this is the time where Bruce Wayne came back to Gotham City. And I guess that's the, the significance of the title, Zero Year, because it's before year one, where the story actually shows that, it, you know, Batman being Batman, but it just seems a little far-fetched. So, overall, I'm going to give this a total of three out of five bad ranks. Not a bad story, but I think that it's just, it's becoming too detailed, and as I've said numerous times in the past, there's so much, so much, so often it seems that Scott Snyder's stuff can be condensed into much smaller versions if you eliminate the repetitiveness of certain aspects. I'll give it three as well. I don't, this, it's not a bad story at all, but like, the main story to me was really uninteresting, and like I, I struggled to pay attention. I think the backup really saves it a bit because I think that like like uh, that's kind of showing Bruce learn stuff, whereas the main story is kind of showing a very petulant Bruce kind of like derp his way around. While there's this 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 plot of you know taking over the company, he must die, and like I'm like you know can we move something else more interesting, please? So yeah, three out of five batterings. I think I'll also give it a three, like. You guys, I I think is well written and like I, I'm enjoying it for the most part. It just at the moment it it doesn't really feel like a Batman story to me, or at least one that we were promised. And I think I do think that the backup was more interesting than the main story. And I I'm actually looking forward to seeing the next one of those more than the continuation of this story. Oh, I do think that again, Greg Capullo did a great job on art. I, you know, I enjoyed the Riddler part, like when Riddler came in and started talking to Bruce and then the Sphinx sort of happened in there. Um, I felt like that was really where the story picked up. Everything before that was just, wow, it was a yawn fest for me. And, and I hope it gets more interesting. Three out of five. I would also say that I enjoyed the Riddler aspect. I'm looking forward to, looking forward to seeing more of him throughout the issues. Yeah, and I'll piggyback off that. I thought that that oral that oral borrow uh, panel was very unique because, like, oh I said, yeah, I never really that was wonderful. I didn't, I didn't cool. really like that so much. I, I felt that it was not even style over substance. I didn't think it it served no purpose. I don't think, and it, it's kind of it, showing it off Capullo's art. Purpose that it, yeah, it was showing off Capullo's art. But I think really what it was was it was the one way you could get twenty eight panels on one page. Alright, so Batman number 22 gets a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our last book, Nightwing number 22. <laughs> Nightwing 22, Showtime, written by Kyle Higgins, illustrated by Will Conrad. This issue begins uh, in Dick's apartment where we see his roommate Michael talking to somebody on the phone. I believe it's Zuko, although I don't, I don't believe it's ever actually confirmed. I can't tell because we have a different artist. But he has the footage of uh, Nightwing and Prankster from the last issue fighting the cops. And the guy tells him to take out all of that 
uh, in the finished version, and he'll get lots of money. So the next time we see uh, a scene happen, <laughs> which is a bad transition, uh, the mayor is getting the drop, gotten the drop on by Nightwing, basically saying to give up Zuko or um, his new name, Billy Lester. Uh, the mayor does not like to be entertained by people in masks or costumes and basically says, you, you can't threaten me. Well, but Dick says, no, this isn't a threat. This is a promise. And he kind of does that Batman move where he's like kind of intimidating the guy. We see him. We see the mayor like lean all the way back in his chair because he's scared of Nightwing, while Nightwing puts a uh, tracer under his desk, and then he disappears because he's, he's uh, Batman or used to be. So at Wicker Park, even though they're in a diner, um, Dick is talking with his other roommate, um, Joey, I think her name is, and basically says, "Well, it's a good thing I have a cybersecurity specialist as a roommate." And then she says, "Actually, that's not what I do. Not at all." And basically, Dick completely misunderstood the point of uh, what she's good at in terms of dealing with computers. And fails. <laughs> so, we, uh, she says, basically, if you have any problems with, with phone hacking, just turn the phone off. And Dick says, that's actually a good idea. So, we cut later to the office of the Chicago Times where Michael has turned in the footage. And while one of the guys doesn't want to use the footage, basically the guy in charge says, yeah, we're going to use it anyway because these are images of a superhero, supervillain in, in battle with the police. So across from town, we see the prankster summoning a lot of people uh, essentially to work for him, although they all happen to be very muscular, although it might just be because it's a comic book. Later at Lake Geneva in Wisconsin, we see Zuko with his wife and child at, the, at a nearby pool chilling out, where Zuko sees footage of Nightwing um, online and says, okay, we've got to go. So uh, Nightwing is getting the he's listening to the tracer of, of Mayor talk. He eventually hears Mayor talk to Zuko, but then the prankster gets on all the screens around the city and basically proclaims that the mayor has been embezzling in over fifty two million dollars. Uh, and he says, "Well, what could we use for fifty fifty two million dollars?" And then suddenly a train explodes. So Nightwing rushes over there and runs into some of the prankster's henchmen and beats the crap out of them because uh, he assumes they had something to do with it. As the issue ends, we see a bunch of cops uh, as an audience for the prankster as they're all tied up to they're all tied up to wires uh, with with guns trained on them. If they move, they die. Next issue: Winnie City Gone Wild. Um. I like this issue, although I don't think that it was a very memorable issue, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Basically, what was the main thing you took away from this issue? If you liked it, why did you like it? If you didn't like it, why didn't you like it? I, I thought it was average. It, uh, well, there, the, the one thing that I have to say is, uh, so this was the first issue that Brett Booth wasn't on. Uh, we have this new artist, Will Conrad. I think for the most part, he did a good job. I want to say that off the bat, because I think that... You know, one of the things I was really not looking forward to was Brett Booth leaving the book to do uh, the other work at DC Comics because his art really has revitalized, uh, along with the story, Nightwing over the last couple months, and it was kind of a letdown to know to find out that he was leaving. But this Will Conrad, I am not familiar with his art, although it seems very Brett Booth-esque. In some ways, it's also it's also very different because it's not nearly as detailed as Brett Booth. It's also not overly over the top with certain things such as uh, ass shots, uh-huh. as we've seen in in, in uh, the past issue. But I think for the most part, the art is actually is actually still it still is doing a good job along with the story. This was a very average issue because there wasn't a lot happening. It really felt like they were starting to set stuff up. 
Um, but really, I'm already getting this odd suspicion that eventually what's going to happen is that Nightwing is going to find out, you know, come to the conclusion of, what do I do? Do I take out Tony Zuko and then and orphan his kid? Because that's the same thing that he did to me, because how is that doing any good for the kid? Or the, 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 the Tony Zuko's crew? Oh, that's what happened, because I mean? he has... He has uh daydreams of seeing him in jail i'm not saying necessarily that he is going to kill him but in my mind i'm thinking to myself if he did serve in or if he served time in jail and he's out and he's just living under a different alias there's something that's going to be uncovered where i think ultimately what's going to happen is that nightwing is going to decide that maybe tony zuko has turned over a new leaf or maybe not it's hard to say because if this embezzling thing with the mayor is actually true and tony zuko has a part of it you know, maybe he's not such the the person who's turned over the fr- the new leaf, but who knows? Um, I think it was just it was average overall. It wasn't nearly as good as the last issue. It's it's setting some things up, and I'm hoping that the next issue really like propels it because there was the personal aspects which was nice, but then in the other sense, there was there was like there's there was other things that didn't really seem as if they needed to be there. I agree for the most part. I thought I. Art was, I think he did a good job of capturing Brett Booth's style for the most part, although it seemed a bit more photoshopped, a lot of it, to me, and uh, I'm not sure if it's the same colorist or what, but just in some areas it seemed uh, odd on the faces and things like that, but for the most part it was good to, well, serviceable to good, and uh, I definitely got more into it as the issue went along. Um definitely aspects of the story issue uh, is, oh, crap. definitely aspects of the issue interested me uh, I found the scene with Tony Zuko and his son by the pool interesting because things like that really do seem to kind of push the idea that he has turned over a new leaf and I find that interesting and I'm not sure what Nightwing is going to do when he comes to realise that but then there's also you know hints that it's not the way that it's being betrayed or you know that, that he's two-sided so i i think my favorite bit of the issue is probably the diner scene where it kind of turned our what we thought was going to happen on his head just oh look there's the tech guy or girl in this case and uh turned out that she's going to be pretty useless for him so i, I enjoyed that scene uh, I agree that it was a so-so issue. I love the fact that we've got a supporting cast now because I feel like we haven't had that um, for the first 20 issues. So really bringing him to Chicago, I think, was a facelift for the character because he seemed to be having some issues. Well, I guess he had a supporting cast with the, the circus. So a lot of it, though, the very, like, I guess it's the first half, maybe the first two-thirds. It seemed like a was bang, bang, bang. Like, it's one scene after another, and they're, like, completely different scenes and very short. You've got Michael, you've got Zuko, you've got Michael in the... Uh, the what is that called the bullpen uh you got you know yeah the paper place you've got the diner scene and then when we finally get to trickster is when we have like consistency so while it's great to see these characters in in an abundance of them and have fun developing them um it seemed very rough and just no smooth transitions and it was just like bullet fire um this is what's going on and then trickster and then we have a smooth little 
nice little one. Prankster. Prankster. Sorry, prankster. I mean, really. It's yeah. <laughs> how many? Oh, whatever. Some of these villains have the same names. I swear. Uh, well, yeah. Who knows? So, anyways, um, I, I felt like it picked up after once we got to prankster. Um, I like the art. I thought it was interesting. I think that I finally realized why I might like Brett Booth is that like look at the cover. His style really reminds me of Tot Knock, and I like Tot Knock a lot. And this. Will Conrad, I don't think he really resembles Brett Booth's style at all. I think he's a lot more of a Mike McCone kind of artist, uh, whose uh, whose style I've realized that I don't care for because I think the, the characters' expressions are very very underplayed. But I mean, I thought Will Conrad actually was a, was a really solid artist. I'm looking at like the scene in the diner with Joey. Does she have like green highlights in her hair? I cannot tell. It doesn't matter. But um, I think I think like I said, I may have said before, but like I think a good Nightwing artist really saves a, a so so issue. I think that this issue had just good enough art that it was more decent than mediocre, like Batman was. So I think that like ultimately, it was a fine issue. I thought it was okay. I, I don't think it was bad. It could have been more interesting, but excuse me, I thought it was I thought it was it was all right. So uh, I'll be grading it uh, positively. All right. So I'm going to give Nightwing number twenty two a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I will give this a three, but it's a higher three than Batman. Three out of five batterings. I'll also give this a three out of five. Three out of five. So that's going to give Nightwing number 22 a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Let's throw it over to John with Bat Books for Beginners. And welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I am your host, John, and in this episode, we are dealing with part two of Robin, Hone, and Back. Like the last issues, this is written by Chuck Dixon and has art by Staz Johnson. In this episode, we are running over issues 60, 61, and 64. And 66 of the Robin continuing series. We're not dealing with issues 62 through to 64 because they cover a Flash storyline. The only essential thing that you need to know about that is that it features Tim Drake and his father moving away from Gotham. Now I'm going to start with a couple of apologies. It is currently in the UK about 60 million billion degrees and is currently hotter than the face of the sun. So if you do pick up the sound of my fan or background noise because I have to have all the windows open, I do apologise about that. I have tried to take as much of it out in post-editing as possible, but some inevitably will leak through. Now, if you remember in the last episode, I gave very, very high praise to that Robin series and the first four issues of it. So is it going to be as any good as that? Let's find out as we dig into Robin, Home and Back, Part 2. You don't know him like I do. He manipulates, pulls strings, anything to get what he wants. I thought we had the same goals. Things change. I changed. I changed. 
The game's over, Batman. I quit. We open with Robin being confronted by the ghost of Philmont, the boy who died at the end of the last episode. It's a dream, and Tim is woken by Mrs. Mack, his housekeeper. Robin returns to the scene of the murder to look for clues and decides that he doesn't need any evidence and instead goes to look for the murderers, the two boys, setting up a motion camera near their home to catch them if they return. After this, he adopts the disguise of Alvin to take Steph to her antenatal class. They flirt and talk until Steph returns home. He then heads back out as Robin to see if the two murderers have returned home. Whilst not catching the criminal, he does stumble on one of their friends, a boy named Meacham. He chases him and the boy leads him right to Stazlan, one of the suspects. He beats them to get a confession. However, it is not what he expects, as they claim they did not do it. They only roughed him up and then left him there alive. The next day, he's interviewed by the police, but rather than say that he did see Philmont leave with the two bullies, he denies he ever saw it happening. The next issue opens with two people in a car stopping for a gang. Unsurprisingly, the gang want to rob the young couple. However, they are rescued by Nightwing and Robin, who easily dispose of the thugs. Afterwards, Tim talks to Dick about the murders, and he advises Robin to keep an eye on Stasland anyway, as he may know more than he is letting on. We then cut to Robin talking to Oracle, who tells him that the kid was killed with a blunt instrument, but there were no witnesses to the murder. However, someone must have seen something. We then move to Robin, dressed as Alvin again, paying another visit to Steph. They again talk, and Robin leaves and returns to the crime scene and begins to look for the killer. He follows some tracks to a homeless guy who lives in the woods. However, as he is talking to him, someone opens fire on them, hitting a propane tank. Robin gives chase to the two masked gunmen and easily beats them in a fight. Unsurprisingly, it turns out that it is Stasland and Meacham who did it, and the issue ends with Robin stood over Philmont's grave, saying that he shares in their guilt. Issue 65 opens with Steph in labour. Tim, whilst in the ward, is unable to enter. However, there are complications which force them to operate to save the child. Whilst under, Steph has a dream that the baby is stolen by her father, the Clue Master, who then, when caught, throws the child into the air. She wakes to find Robin there. They talk and Steph decides to go through with the adoption of the child, refusing even to see it. Tim phones his father, who has moved out of Gotham, telling him that he had to see a friend. His father, understandably, is rather annoyed that Tim has returned to Gotham and says that he will meet him at the old house, which Tim then heads to. Meanwhile, three of Nick Scratch's goons head to the local hospital and demand treatment for one of their men or they will attack him. Issue 66 opens with Scratch's men continuing to threaten everyone. The doctors perform surgery on the downed gang member while outside the theatre the police gather. However, the police are spotted and the goons open fire. We then cut back to Gotham, where Tim and his father are talking. They, however, decide to stay in Gotham rather than returning to Keystone. Meanwhile, the police continue to surround the medical centre where the goons are held up. The doctors are certain that they aren't human, and more to the point, they discover that the goons have a very short life expectancy, and their genes are slowly turning against them. 
The goons obviously don't take it well and threaten to beat up the Doctor, saying that they are lying. However, the Doctors instead make a break for it and escape. But the police are unable to go in as there is flammable gas in the centre and hitting it with a bullet from a gun will cause it to go off. The goons decide that they will take the place with them if they're going to die, but before they can, Robin attacks them. They fight, but Robin easily defeats them, and the issue ends with Tim's father's girlfriend informing Miss Mac that they will be staying in Gotham. So, overall, I thought the first two issues are very, very good. We get more of the Steph storyline, we get more Tim drama, him trying to decide what he's going to do, solving the crime, trying to solve all of the problems. But I thought that the final two issues were probably quite weak. It would have been nice to have seen much more about Steph and the baby, to see the effects of what's going on, and to really see Tim trying to help Steph through what is, understandably, an incredibly difficult time in her life. And I think the fact that that doesn't really happen is a little disappointing, really, considering how much good character building we got from Chapticks in the last episode. It would have been nice to have seen it carry on. The art, again, was very, very good. It did have some odd moments. For example, there was sort of shiny exclamations, almost like lens flare when they pulled certain expressions that I didn't really, really understand why that was going on. Um, I didn't, to be honest, think it was necessary, but there must have been a very good reason for it. Perhaps there was a new art style, but to me it just seemed a little bit out of place. However, overall, I think if you take the entire series in context, it is very, very, very good. It leads nicely into No Man's Land, and it is well worth buying, especially if you want to deal with a lot of back issues. And I would recommend this overall as an entirety. However, if you have the opportunity to pick up 65 and 66 of the Robin run, I probably would avoid it unless you're desperate to see the little bit where Steph gives birth. So that's my overall review of the Robin home and back. I thought it was very, very good and well worth picking up. Perhaps one of the best comics that I've read in a long, long time. And I've said it a number of times and I will keep on saying it. When Chuck Dixon is on form and he gets his characters right, he gets them very, very right. And in this case, he is fantastic writing. So next episode, we will be tackling Nightwing, A Darker Shade of Justice. This has been released as a trade paperback, and there are a few issues that cover the No Man series that we won't be dealing with. So we will only be dealing with the first half of the trade paperback but is it going to be any good we have to find out next episode to find out and then after that we begin the big marathon the one that probably everybody i think has slightly been waiting for we begin no man's land which will take forever considering i have the trade paperbacks and i've seen how big they are but with that being said that is everything for this episode thank you once again for listening it is always appreciated and now i'll hand you back over to dustin and the guys
All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, be sure to check out the next set of books for the next episode. And also be sure to check out the individual feed for Bat Books for Beginners if you are just getting into Batman comics. We uh, started from the very beginning of continuity. Now, this was obviously a couple years back, and current events within the New 52 are not applied into that uh, world of Bat Books for Beginners, but uh, it should give you a pretty good idea of where Batman has come from from the very beginning. So with that, that's going to get us into listener Q&As. Uh, I want to thank everybody for sending your listener Q&As because as of the last episode, we had very few listener Q&As and we actually got a decent amount. So the first one is from Richie. He says, It's confirmed Earth 2, not a flashback. Obviously, Richie is referencing a review of Batman Superman, number one. Uh, so it is, in fact, Earth 2, according to Richie, and it's not a flashback, so that clears that up. It is, in fact, a different world. As Joe mentioned in his review, he said that uh, worlds collide with worlds being plural uh, led us to believe it was Earth 2. Next up, Nick says, Is anyone else still perplexed by the fallout of Death of the Family? I still don't understand what happened in that book that would cause any of the members of the family to distance themselves from Batman. It seems like Snyder and DC had an end goal in mind, but never adequately justified why the end result was the end result. And now, months later, we're still left referencing the fallout of Death of the Family, and I'm still asking how slash why. It makes even less sense when another book and creator actually killed a member of the family immediately thereafter, prompting a third book to focus on the Batman's relationship with those he supposedly just alienated. But for what reason he alienated them, I still do not know. Well, Nick, I have no idea either. We've talked about this, obviously, plenty of times about how Death of the Family left seemingly ended very abruptly, as far as not having some sort of actual conclusion, not really having a payoff for an, a so-called event, is, was whatever they were calling it. Um, ultimately, it just comes down to it, the whole thing didn't make a lot of sense. It would have been completely different if... I, honestly, I believe the timing of the book is what is why it ended up being the way it was. Maybe there was a different idea of how it was supposed to end. Maybe there was supposed to be some sort of giant... Uh, payoff, but because Damien was going to die later in the month, there wasn't that wasn't going to happen because they wanted the focus to be on Batman Incorporated. That's entirely possible, but the problem is that Death of the Family just ended, and then the fact that everyone everyone wants to sit there and say, "Hey, I got an idea. I don't want to be by Batman because I can't trust him." But nobody's explaining why they can't trust him, only because he sat there and never told them about the Joker going to the Batcave. If that's the reason they don't trust him, I'm sure that's not the only secret he has from them. So, Yeah, basically, yeah. I think I, I think that, like, um, I think we were supposed to get under the impression that Ben didn't tell them a time where the Joker said he was in the Batcave, but really wasn't. And they didn't believe him. And then at the end, when they were all, like, you know, like, almost got their face cut off, but didn't for no reason, um, they just thought that he was lying, which, why do they believe the Joker over Batman? And like it was, it wasn't very clearly explained. And like, especially if how Dick Grayson was like ch- casually talking to him on the phone, and then like, the, the, like in random ways, she's like, "Oh, we're all we're all mad at Bruce." And it was just very, very. It felt like it, was, it just wanted to get to that point, but it didn't take enough time illustrating why that point that was reached. And I don't like the idea in general, but like the idea wasn't presented very understandably. 
Yeah, from what I remember, we were kind of assuming that that was the case, and then it was evidenced more by other books just saying, oh, we're mad at Batman, but I agree, it, it was never really set out clearly in Batman that that was the case. Just, I, I think because he ran after the Joker instead of dealing with the family, and then they were left sort of hugging it out, and then Batman was off that... I don't know. I think, yeah, we all ended up assuming that that was the case, that the family died and because they broke up and don't trust Batman anymore. But, yeah, I don't think Snyder ever really dealt with that and it was left to the other Bat books. All right, so next up, Jeremy says, Hey, guys, another awesome podcast. Batman Superman was all right, but I don't think I'll purchase it myself. Borrow it from a friend to read. Personally, I don't think you guys should continue to review it because it's considered under the Superman line not the Batman, but that's just my vote. Rob says, I think Batman Superman book might be better suited on the .5 cast. Okay. <laughs> Ter- Terry says, personally, I'd like you to keep up with Batman Superman, at least for another month or so, just because the first issue confused me so much and your explanation of it helped a lot. However, it doesn't matter to me if it was on the .5 cast instead. Also, I thought I'd point out something I saw when I released when they released the October solicits today for Batman Superman number four. It states in the it's the conclusion of the first arc in the series as one world dies and another lives. Plus, we'll discover why Superman and Batman have no memory of this tragic first adventure. Seems like this might give some credibility to the two-world theory. Doesn't mean it has to be Earth 2, but it does seem to be another Earth. Patrick says, Love the pod, guys. Keep up the good work. I also would like if you kept covering Batman Superman books as much as it sounds like you are not all enjoying it. Who knows? It could turn out awesome. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go boink in the back. What? He's referencing Dark Knight. Oh. Okay. Oh no! Oh, no. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since I mentioned that that phrase, yeah, you go do that. Um, okay, so let's talk Batman Superman before we get into the last one that has nothing to do with Batman Superman. So for the time being, we are going to cover Batman Superman. We are going to mo- move it to the point five cast, just because it really doesn't fall into the main line of books as far as tying in with the main stories. So we're going to move it to the point five cast for the time being. I will give it a four-issue run through the first arc, uh, but realistically, if after the first arc, that first four issues happens, and we don't see any sort of, uh, any kind of story that relates to actually more so Batman than Superman, we're probably going to cut it just because um, the the two worlds thing, even if it's not Earth 2, if it is Earth 2, that's not really relevant. The point is, we don't cover World's Finest, which does have Huntress in it because of the connections with Earth 2. Um, we've only covered it a couple times here and there. So realistically, the Batman Superman book, if they stick with this this uh, Earth, two Earth story for the first four issues, it's not really flying with what's going on in the other Bat books, number one. But number two, uh, it's all going to depend on what they do after that first arc, because if we don't get some actual, you know, Bruce Detective stories that Clark's along for the ride on, it's not really going to work. I do find it interesting, in fact, that Jeremy states that this is actually part of the Superman line, uh, because 
I find it interesting that they didn't call it Batman, or uh, they didn't call it Superman Batman. Maybe that was only because there was a series a couple years back that was called Superman Batman, and they want people to get uh, they don't want to get people confused. But they also recently just announced that there is going to be a Superman Wonder Woman series uh, starting in October as well. So maybe the idea is they don't have a lot of uh, op- they don't have a lot of ways to connect these characters to they don't have a lot of individual stories with Superman, so they're going to start connecting them to different characters. So it could in fact just become a Superman story with Batman along for the ride. So well, for for now we will be covering it, but we're going to move it to the point five for the time being. The final listener Q&A we have comes from Mary, and she says, Did anyone else shout no when Barbara said she would be Robin? I'm glad I was not in public. Before that happens, I'd rather Jason come back to be Robin while Babs becomes Red Hood and joins the Outlaws. She certainly seems violent enough for that lately. So I think that's... uh, I don't, I don't know that anybody has any comments based on that, but I think that obviously she's been very violent, as I even mentioned. Even in this issue, which we actually liked, um, she was a little bit more violent, or she was even violent and in not inside the costume. So I think that, uh, in general... Um, is she violent in Birds of Prey? Uh, no. No, not really. Birds of Prey is... No. Pr- like, that would be the one book that I would recommend to a, like, a teenager... Well, it's the thing. I, I think honestly, I think Gail Simone's writing more so than the than the character herself being violent. I think it's like everybody's violent in Gail Simone's Batgirl. Um, I don't want to see. I don't. I don't want to see Barbara be anything. She's not going to be Batgirl or Robin. I'm, and in fact, like again, like who says that, that that there needs to be Robin right now? I mean, especially since we have Tim, Dick, and Jason still alive. There's no exact need for Robin, um, Harper Row or Carrie Kelly or otherwise. The, that was all of the listener Q&As we had on the website. Now, I do want to bring up a, uh, a uh, listener email that was sent to us uh, back on... That was the last listener Q&A that we had on the website. We did have a listener who emailed us uh, who attended LFCC, which I believe is a convention over in England, uh, London Comic Con. I don't know what the F stands oh, for. Oh, London Film and Comic Con. London Film and Comic Con. And uh, that happened over the weekend of uh, July 5th, 6th, and 7th. And he sent us an email on July 8th. Turns out, uh, Paul, he attended a panel that uh, Neil Adams held um, that he talked about a number of his different work. Um, But one of the ones that he specifically talked about was he talked about his work on Batman Odyssey. Basically, Neil Adams is claiming that Batman Odyssey was the reinvention of the comic book. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. So, basically, Neil Adams is, is saying that the the whole idea behind Batman Odyssey was that it was, a, it was a specific story that was read cover to cover once it was collected. It's not meant to be broken up into issues, despite the fact that that's the way it was published. Um, he blames the fact that DC uh, released it the way they did because of the reason of why people didn't really understand it. And then he goes on to say that if you had any questions about what happens in the entirety of the book, if you were lost at any point, all of your questions should be answered by the double-page spread of Batman killing the Sensei. Um, I want to preface this by saying that Neil Adams has, you know, I have respect for Neil Adams. He's a great comic creator. Um, and his his art from the 70s is is definitely very interesting and very good. Um, his art of the last 
10, 15 years that we've been privy to within the Batman universe has not been up to par with what he did back in the 70s. And I I don't really think it's that great anymore. Um, at the same point, I think that um, Neil Adams is also possibly starting to lose it. Um, and I And I say that with respect just for the sheer fact that Neil Adams, I, I don't think, regardless of the fact if he's a great artist or not, is going to be able to reinvent the comic book and then in turn reinvent the comic book but then allow DC to release it in a format that doesn't appeal to the way he would like it released. If he wanted this released as a graphic novel, he could have had it done. Um, so I have a hard time believing that it was released initially as a actual uh, a miniseries by a monthly monthly book and then in turn once it's collected that's the way it's meant to be read is in that way and that's what he was aiming for all along because if that's what was the the mentality of what he was doing when he created it he should have just done it as a graphic novel and not a mini series i have a hard time believing that he didn't have a part of its of deciding that it was going to be a mini series and not a one shot um outside of that i just i think that realistically if you've read Batman Odyssey, we've talked about this in the past. It is one of the most insane stories that makes absolutely no sense. And telling telling us that it's all solved by Batman killing Sensei in a double-page spread, that doesn't answer the, the, the insane craziness that occurred in that series. I also think that, that, that Neil Adams has become a maniac. And again, like, with all respect to, like, the, the legendary runs he did in the character in the 70s, but if you listen to him talk, then it's clear that, like, he's not of us of the same playing field as we as, as everyone else is. I mean, for some reason, he created this miniseries that, like, says that Wolverine was the very first X-Men in a way that, that makes absolutely no sense, and Odyssey made no sense, uh, you know, that we've already gone over, so... I just said that like he's of his in his own little world, in my opinion. All right, so those are all the listener Q and A's. I want to thank Paul for sending us that video, um, just because obviously we obviously can't make it to every single convention, especially some of the uh, smaller conventions that aren't as highly publicized. But those are the ones that end up having these insane sound bites from crazy creators. So. Uh, if you guys are going, if anybody's going to a convention that is a smaller convention and you notice that there's somebody on the docket who's having a panel that's related to the Batman universe, be sure to take your cell phone along because you never know what you might get. Uh, you never know what someone might say. So with that, I want to remind everybody to head over to the website to leave your comments or in the comment section below the podcast post on the website. You can also email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns. In addition to that, head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Be sure to check out the website all weekend long for news related to Comic-Con and obviously the time after the convention as well as we'll be posting videos from the convention as well after the convention actually occurs. In addition to that, you can check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer. Uh, we recently just released a new episode of TBU Collected. Uh, focusing on Batman Death by Design, so you can check that out over on the Batman Universe specials. Be sure to check out all of the other podcasts that we have to offer, including the Batman Universe Commentaries, which also has new episodes posting every two weeks. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or join our Facebook group for all the latest news and videos and conversations related to the Batman Universe. 
And you can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. This is Jay. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Hello from San Diego, which is where we'll be when you'll be hearing this. And as a PS, remember that there are five Wednesdays in the month of July, so the next episode will in fact be delayed by one week. Have a great three weeks, and we'll see you in three weeks. Bye. to say is it real i don't think so i think it's tyrell tyrell whatever it's tyrell uh, i think yeah, it's, it's tyrell what you know <laughs> you dustin you of all people should not be talking about how to pronounce words why is that because you said oogle in uh in the uh Batgirl special and it's ogle ogle um uh, okay, <laughs> make- okay. <laughs> okay i say oogle Okay. That's I was, how I say it. That must be a that must be a Midwest thing then, I guess. I was going to make a joke about this being the last issue of Batgirl because she's not called Batgirl anymore, but that didn't stop Batman and Robin. So. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I think the main difference which made this good is the inner model. Huh? Joe. Yeah. Your, your robot voice. I'm going to hang up and call you back. Oh, no. Okay. You wow. Before he gets too much into his talking points. You hear me? And Bob's um, your uncle. His name's Paul. But Bob's your uncle. <laughs> uh, that's all I had. Well, I guess he had a supporting cast with the, the circus. But I don't know if we really got into any of them um, and their character backgrounds like we are now. Raya. Yeah, besides Raya. Um... So so I like that. However, it was very... Wait, what? <laughs> well played. I could only hear according to Raya. Um, don't, don't worry about so it. We got into Raya. Okay. Um, why did we cover Batman Odyssey, but we're not doing Batman Black and White? It was contractually obligated first. Because of Batman Odyssey. Huh? Have a nice day.